When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. As a new Western Union customer, you can enjoy a $0 transfer fee on your first international online money transfer. Send money to your loved ones back home the fast, easy, and reliable way. Visit westernunion.com or download their app today to get started. And your first transfer fee is free. Services offered by Western Union Financial Services, Inc., NMLS 906983 or Western Union International Services, LLC, NMLS 906985, FX Gain Supply. Oh, we're in for a long one. A long weekend, that is. And you deserve to spend it on the couch with a glass of something good. Luckily, there's Drizzly, the number one app for alcohol delivery. With Drizzly, you can compare prices on the biggest selection of beer, wine, and spirits, then get them delivered quickly. So download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y dot com today. Hey, it's Joey Casada. You're listening to Tom and Zeus on Shout It Out Loudcast. If you want to hear two idiots with Boston accents talk about Kiss, you've definitely come to the right place. Greetings and salutations. Welcome to the Shout It Out Loudcast. Don't turn your radio dial. You're in the right place because the album review crew is back with episode 21. We are calling this one, How Can You Not Absolutely Love? One of the world's best-selling bands, having sold 200 million records, including 100 million in the U.S., Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, they're all over classic rock radio, and everybody in the U.S. knows at least one song written by them? Well, maybe we'll show you how. Oh. Tommy Zeus, how are you? We're great, but we'll, let's uh, let's welcome uh, a, a special guest. Our, last week, or I should say last month, for our previous episode, we broke the ice by having a guest with the wonderful Chris Jericho. And uh, that ice has been broken, so we have another guest, Super Eagles fan himself, the one and only Murph. Hello, guys. I know when I got this invite, there was only one thing I needed to do. Sonny, a.k.a. Billy Bats, sitting at the end of the bar. <laughs> I'm locking the door, Zeus. I'll do my Henry Hill, Joe Pesci, Bobby De Niro. Go at it. I didn't so, know he was an Eagles fan. I'm ready to hang up now because I'm a Cowboys fan. So, Oh, no, no, no. 
nobody nobody in New England is an Eagles fan after what happened with that Super Bowl, but that's a whole separate story. But Zeus, what's up, buddy? Um, yeah, I brought Murph on as like extra to make you look like even worse and ostracize Sonny's opinion even more so. So I got my backup, Sonny, today. I well, yeah, think there's see- going to be some folks that agree with me today. I think we are going to get feedback that says, you know what, Zeus, bring as many people as you want. Sonny's right. Oh yeah, I'll get. I'll we'll get tons of that shit. Are you kidding me? But, but very that, but polarizing. See, what I like. What I like about this is that uh, uh, as as far as I'm aware, I don't think any of you know where I stand on this. Sonny, no. we kind of know. We kind of you know. Murph was brought in as a buffer for Zeus. <laughs> you know, and and, I, and nobody knows where I'm going. So I, I'm actually kind of excited for that because you know, I, I'm am I going to side up with uh, Sonny? Or like like Murph just said, am I going to lock the door and uh, you know? <laughs> you insulted him. You insulted yeah. him a little bit. Yeah, I don't know if yeah, so, yeah, I don't know if I don't know if you heard. I don't shine shoes no more. I don't know if you heard. You've been away for a while. I don't know if you heard that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is. I told you guys, I'm going off the board. So this is the ice breaking. Yes, we broke it a little bit with grunge, and we're breaking it with classic rock. We'll see where uh, the rest of you guys go next time. But uh, the Eagles have always been a favorite of mine, and I'm pumped to do this. But before we do, we always take a look back, and we're gonna look at <laughs> we're gonna look at the fucking polar opposite of the Eagles, Hotel California. We're gonna look at look what the cat dragged in by Poison. I look at this episode here as a musical palate cleanser <laughs> after spending three hours with look what the cat dragged in. But before we go, do, Tom, oh, I go, gotta go say ahead. one thing. Sure. I think the favorite comment of the ep- of the whole episode last time was Jericho texting and saying, I like a couple like a couple days later, I, go, I can't believe I woke up early on a Sunday to spend three hours discussing the merits of number one bad boy with you. (laughs) (laughs) That's what happens. It's dedication, baby. So, yeah, breaking news. That is not one of the options for the best song on Look What the Cat Dragged In. Uh, So, yeah, so every episode we do, we talk about the previous episode and the poll is always favorite song. So Look What the Cat Dragged In. Uh, our personally uh, picked options were talk dirty to me. Look what the cat dragged in. I want action and cry tough. And it was a little closer than I thought. Talk dirty to me won 42%. But uh, look what the cat dragged in fought valiantly with 36%. Cry tough 13. I want action nine. Uh, I actually thought I want action would do a little bit better just because it was a hit. It had a video. A lot of people here saying, I think cry tough is underrated. Um, but I picked look what the cat dragged in. That's our buddy Lance. Uh, John Gross also picking uh, look what the cat dragged in. Lance jumps in and says, with you guys also on Jericho's show with his rat debate, the world is now knowing the greatness of Sonny Pooney. Oh, nice. Well, I think the world already knew that, but, you know, that's good for him. Uh, he's banned. He's banned. You're banned. You're banned. Jace 430 title track is awesome. Cry tough shouldn't even be on a pole with the other three. <laughs> then Jeff Wyatt says, I won't forget you. Oof. Yikes. Yikes. 
Um, on the fly, love the opening riff to look what the cat dragged in. If I'm not mistaken, it was an opener for their first two tours. I know it was on the open up and say, ah, tour, great song. Yeah, I have no idea because the only time I've seen Poison was when they opened for Kiss, and I don't even think I paid attention to them. So I'll take your word on that one there. Uh, okay. Twisted Kister, I want action for me. It was the first song I heard by them and what made me want to hear more. I remember being disappointed that there weren't more songs like it or at least catchy. I was seven or eight. It didn't grab. So if it didn't grab me, I was forgotten pretty quickly. Uh, and then our buddy Jay from the Hook Rocks, out of the songs listed, I voted for Cry Tough. Oh, no. See, now I can't tell if, if Jay's trolling us. I voted for Cry Tough, but in my opinion, the best song is number one bad boy. <laughs> God, that can't be real. I don't know. Jay's very serious with his music. So um, our buddy Steve, another great episode, guys. Bukaki Sonny Pooty brings logic and reason to the proceedings. And Jericho is always awesome to hear with his views on music. Talk Dirty to me is the pick of the bunch here. And uh, our buddy Costa. God bless you, Costa, and your family, by the way, my friend. Look what the cat dragged in for me. Poison's videos and easy-to-remember lyrics made singing and dancing along to them replaced playing the air guitar. Definition of 80s music fun. Sean DeHaan, cat dragged in for me, but Cry Tough is a very close second. And then our buddy Nige. I mean, they're all absolutely terrible, but talk, but talk Dirty to Me is the best of a bad bunch. Listening to this episode reminded me why I thought Poison was awful back then. <laughs> and the past 35 years have done nothing to change my mind. Fucking hilarious episode, though. Great work, guys. Matt Suter, not to be confused with Gary Suter. I'll be that guy to be the contrarian, but I think Native Tongue is the best Poison record, and it's not even close. Great episode, nonetheless. I've, I don't know anything about Native Tongue. I'll take Anybody word, who but. says it's a it's when Richie Cotton joins, right? So oh, Okay, okay. I know Native Tongue well. Anybody who says that they love Poison for Native Tongue really technically doesn't like Poison. I was gonna, <laughs> it's yeah, not, you're right. Nothing like Poison. They just like the album Native Tongue of some band that did it. Ain't got nothing to do with Poison. So, uh, that's probably a good point. You're right. Cause, cause it, you said it was Richie Cotson on that album. Yeah. 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 Of I course. thought it was the guy that was on trouble walking with Ace. Oh, no, that was, uh, Scarlett. that's Richie Scarlett. That's <laughs> 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 saying the song with Peter Crest, something in the emperor and the cat. Man. Oh, the whole, that whole, that single they released a couple months yeah. back. Ooh. Oh, <laughs> and then we'll get, and then let's get into some quick episode specific comments here for, on Twitter. Um, our buddy Jeff Wyatt. Okay, finished it today, and I honestly haven't laughed that hard in so long. It was hilarious and true at the same time, talking about poison and, and, and obviously with Jericho. Um, Deuce had a lot of comments in there. Brett Michaels is a rock star, a quote from Jericho during the episode. Absolutely couldn't agree more, and poison will be the star of that tour next year, no doubt. Yeah, that's what Jericho was saying. He's like, remember when that stadium tour, people watch out for poison. I don't know. Maybe he's, you know, I trust Jericho, but. Then we had a lot of people giving their rankings, which is great. Alessandro Rook, excellent debut album, excellent choice. Can't wait to tune in. Then he call, follows up with says, I just finished the best album review yet. Sonny Pooney and Jericho on the cast together is so much fun. The album, while amateur, is etched in that musical scene. Kelly Bowers, she says, I got turned on to you guys from the Jericho Rat episode. This review crew is outstanding. Enjoying what I'm hearing so far. Kudos on doing this Poison album review, even though the album is terrible. <laughs> <laughs> I 
those comments will always make me laugh. Oh my God. Twisted Kister then jumps in and says, I'm worried about saying this as litigious as this episode was, but when Zeus says play dirty reminded him of gut to choose. I thought the opening riff was crazy babies. Did Zach Wilde rip off CC DeVille? Oh my God. There's a sentence I never thought I'd hear. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> you're a Zach buddy there. That's your buddy, Sonny. Oh, yeah, yeah. There's come on. You could, yeah, imagine Zach putting CC DeVille in the same sentence as Zach. While the only thing they have in common is they play the guitar. That's it. Uh, and we got Swede in New York. Sonny, great point to bring up the uh, easy action story on the song I Want Action. The name of the song is We Go Rockin'. And you can find the original on YouTube. Listen to the chorus and you'll understand why they settled so quickly. I don't remember that story during the episode. Yeah, it's a Swedish band, so it doesn't surprise me that us. Yes. Okay, there you go. There you go. Uh, And then, look, our show has an explicit rating. You don't need to be surprised (laughs) by any of that. But I, I have to read this meme that Harper sent to us. And I sent it to the group chat. It's a picture of the album cover. And above it, it says... I jerked off to Poison for almost a year before I found out they were dudes. And then for like another three months. (laughs) That's the best part right there. That's awesome. That is awesome. All right. And then uh, we got one from Vet Halen. You guys try really hard to not like this album, but in the end, you like it. Just remember what Bobby said on Behind the Music. Quote, we never set out to be musicians. We always wanted to be rock stars. I always liked Poison, even when I was in a Metallica cover band. Wow. Okay, that's cool. MD. Oh, he's coming after Jericho here. Def Leppard should be worried about Poison on the stadium tour. You guys need to start drug testing your guests. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, and then our, our buddy West Beach who also sent an email that we'll get to. Uh, This ought to be good. I always had a bit of a love-hate relationship with Poison. Saw them on their first tour, and they rocked. I asked Bobby Dahl if they ever opened for us, as they looked familiar. We used to have a number of new bands open. The answer was no. (laughs) It sounds like the Ricky Henderson, John Olerud story. Hey, I used to play with the guy that used to wear a helmet when he he was in the field. Yeah, that was me. (laughs) (laughs) Christopher Hamilton says, this was a drop everything and listen to this damn podcast right now event. Your tough but fair criticism episode of, excuse me, your tough but fair criticism of Poison made for a great episode. I'm fired up about the upcoming Rat episode on Talk is Jericho. Your last two Kiss episodes will have to wait. Ooh, okay, Christopher, whatever it takes. Our buddy Zandon, cool. I'm keen to hear about feedback on CC DeVille, the only guy in rock that was never endorsed. I heard a studio musician played on the album and he had to learn the solos before they toured terrible guitar player. (laughs) The beatings never end here. Our buddy, Steve DeDisco just said, I've never heard it. (laughs) That's his comment. (laughs) Uh, And then our buddy, Steve has always given his rankings. Lots of nice comments. Our buddy, Jack broad. What a fucking horrible band and album. (laughs) I can't wait to listen. Oh, God. Then our buddy Nige had a couple more things to say. Scott jumps in and says, oh, no, more poison bashing. <laughs> yes. Um, a lot of then a lot of people picking out. Look, look what the cat dragged in the song that they like. So that, that's the Twitter feedback. Funny stuff, as always. That was a blast of an episode. Perfect album to do with Jericho. So there's some Twitter stuff. Zeus, what do you got for us? 
on Facebook, Scott Donaldson says, love this. Looking forward to it. Uh, our buddy Steve Wright on our text group in Potter Than Hell. Fun episode, guys. It was cool having Jericho on this month. And I have to tell you that when Sonny mentioned about kamikaze ordering, he wasn't bullshitting. He's done that twice while we were out. Weirdo. There's some tough-to-stomach songs on this album, but it does have some really fun songs. I give it about a three out of five. Keep up the good work. And by the way, I'm really af- afraid of what Zeus is going to pick next. Well, oh, there it is. There it is, Steve. Be afraid. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, Jason Warden, I enjoyed this episode. It took me back to the first I heard Talk Dirty to Me. I was quite surprised. I disagree with you all about this album. In my opinion, the only good songs are I Want Action. Um, what the fuck is IWFY? I won't I, forget you. I was made for loving uh, you. Talk dirty to me. <laughs> yeah. And the title track, the rest of throwaways. I don't know. He, he put the acro- uh, the uh, initials on each song, uh, especially want some and cry tough. This was my least favorite from their first three albums. To me, they actually grow as a band and got better. The other two have less throwaways. Hope you review those as well. Oof. No, <laughs> never. Kevin Jepsen. <laughs> Another hilarious episode. Couldn't agree more with Jericho. Ricky Rocket is smoking. (laughs) I love this record. I was 11 going on 12 when this came out. They looked like they were all about fun and chicks. Definitely a soft spot in my heart for this. Here is my top three. Waiting for the hate. Number three, I won't forget you. Number two, cry tough. Number one, uh, look what the cat dragged in. I don't think that's anything. That's okay. Yeah. Yeah. Stephen Wood. There's something to be said about low expectations. Having never heard it until now, I have to say it's way better than I anticipated. Kudos, Mr. Pooney. Wow. Yeah. God. Michael Anderson. Really loving these album review crew episodes. Adding Jericho changes it up a little. Favorite line by Chris. When you asked about, I won't forget you. Fucking terrible. <laughs> P.S. Kamikaze ordering? Fucking animal. Oh, yeah, that's true. Dude, I can't wait to see fun. that. I'm telling I, you. I'm excited to see that on the cruise. That you can't really do like it on the cruise. Like it's human. Oh, that's right. It's all it's all buffet on the cruise. That's right. He's uh, a human garbage disposal. He'll eat anything. <laughs> wow. My favorite line. What are you, a rhino? <laughs> <laughs> like those fucking... Hippos in the zoo when they throw like watermelons, they throw everything. It just opens its mouth and just ah, doesn't know what it's chomping down on, just eats it. Um, Adam Nickmeyer, awesome album. Slightly afraid to listen to the podcast due to Teensy's incorrect opinions <laughs> about the band and its members. Can't think of any bad songs. Woo. Think wow. think harder. You'll come up. You'll find Listen some. Listen harder. Yeah, exactly. The cover is overly glammy, even for Poison at the time. And it gets used for a stand in for people who want to make fun of hair metal. Yeah. Uh, I guess yes. they wanted to make a splash and mission accomplished in that regard. Oh, here we go. Oh, who's this? Matt Wallace. Oh, God. I have always loved this album. It's loaded with two things I really love. Cheese and pussies. (laughs) (laughs) 
I love every song on this album, no matter how amateur and ridiculous it is. Most of the music is great, probably because it was written by other bands. <laughs> Maybe they should plagiarize lyrics from the other bands as well. The, the album cover made me unload my cream pistol. Wow. There's the explicit rating. Lisa Garlitz. The album that introduced me to Poison. I love them since then. Uh, Tim Hendrick. If you like guys wear more makeup than you than your girl, then this is for you. Got a two, three good songs. Cheesy as you can get only became popular because girls digging Brett and exchange makeup at tips. Dude, <laughs> gotta work on that writing. <laughs> yeah, you spell check. It's Something. not spell check. It's like sentence structure. I'm like Grammarly.com. Adam Carlton, great episode. Uh, Mark Damore, still patiently waiting for ARC to tackle Queensryche's Operation Minecraft. Oh, yes, that might no, be coming soon, no, buddy. No, no, Keep Empire. Waiting. Empire. No, that might be coming sooner. If anybody picks Operation Minecraft, it'll be me, so stand by. Oh. Uh, Sneed Rock, great episode as always, but he writes in Greek. Oh, which I can read. Oh, please do. And what that means is, hello, kids. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's a, a friendly gesture. Okay. You can say to All right. Uh, Charles Eaton. <laughs> no relations to basketball Utah great Mark Eaton. Rest in peace. I think he's going to become a Hall of Famer in the Shout It Out Loud cast <laughs> Hall of Fame. Because people like to post his photo after we talk about him. Um, bought this one and Bon Jovi Slippery When Wet way back in the day. Think 87 at a flea market. Two cassettes for five bucks. Obvious bootlegs as the liner for Look What the Cat Dragged In was yellow cardstock and no cover picture. Just the band name and album title. So that's your worst album cover? Undeniably right there. Uh, but I love my purchases and wore them out. As bootlegs, both seem to have the same production quality, which didn't really seem far behind the actual release quality once I purchased those later on. Brought back memories hearing the review. Thank you, guys. You definitely got his ass. Oh, God, yeah. Yeah, it happened. It used to happen back in the day in flea markets, right? People would go buy, like, TDK 60s or whatever's on yeah. sale at the time. Oh, yeah. And then, you know, do the two-tape deck, reel-to-reel -reel yep. kind of thing and sell it for whatever. It sounded okay because, it's you know, it's a copy of a tape. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. multiplicity, but the first mm -hmm. one, right, not the third or fourth one. Yeah. Uh, but you look back on it, it's like, damn, dude, that's kind of wrong. <laughs> kind of illegal. Illegal. Like, yeah, exactly. I mean, it's it's one thing. It's one thing to do it back in the eighties when you would like trade tapes with your friends, but yeah. to like make them and then sell them. It's like, like oh no, shit. It's one thing to do it if it's a concert that no one can buy. Well, that too. Yeah, I see what you're saying. Yeah, oh, that's not, not too illegal. <laughs> that, that's also illegal. Rather, off but I'd rather get caught buying a bootleg concert than. I got a bootleg copy at the flea market of look what the cat dragged in. Yeah. Uh, Mr. Pian is your son is going to be fined $50. Oh no. What did he steal? Uh, he stole a bootleg copy of look what the cat dragged in <laughs> a George. 
a TDK <laughs> copy or a Maxell. <laughs> oh. uh, over on the Loudcasters group page, um, Virgil State puts a little photo of the 80s, nothing but a good time, and a picture of Poison. Uh, Jason Ward, and they get a lot of hate, but they are what they are. Fun band with some great tunes. Um, Brian Harris, uh, seeing them in the club back in the day, you knew they were going to get signed. Aaron Martell, great episode, fellas. Poison gets tons of flack, but you guys are fair and even generous to these ladies. (laughs) (laughs) You should make a clip of Jericho saying, Ricky Rock is the most beautiful woman he's ever seen. Jepson again comes back and says, yes, these chicks are hot. Uh, Paul hate hater. Fuck no. A shit emoji. The only thing worse than this trend to what it led to grunge. Ooh. Yeah. Oh, is that a Sonny Pooney burner account on Facebook? Sonny <laughs> 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 Facebook burner account. Okay. Um, Daniel Peoples. Pre-listen thoughts. I like half of it. Really like four. Of the half, I like, I want action, talk dirty, I won't forget you, let me go to the show. The title track is okay. Poisonous Band was really good to great singles, but had a huge drop-off on album tracks. Most are embarrassingly mediocre. I put Poison one step above Quiet Riot as far as singles to album track quality. At least Poison would give at least half an album's worth of music to listen to. The lone exception being Native Tongue. That's the best thing they've ever done. See what Sonny said 10 minutes ago. Exactly. Look what the cat dragged in is at the top of my bottom four, what you reviewed so far. Looking forward to the episode. Just did a refresher right before posting this. And this album might be the least I, maybe the least I interesting album you've done. It wow. should have been an EP. Okay. <laughs> okay. Craig Miller. A lot of listeners do that is they'll find <clears throat> out what we're reviewing. And then do a listen right before they listen to us. Like, I know Danny does that. Yep. I know Tony does that sometimes just to kind of get a fresh look on it. Yep. I, I do that. There's a lot of, just to, as a little sidebar here, I do that. There's a lot of podcasts I subscribe to that do, like, movie reviews. And if I haven't seen the movie in a while, I'll watch it. And then I'll listen to the episode just so I can kind of refresh myself. Especially some of these albums we do, they're old. So a lot of people might like them but not have heard them in a long time. So that's cool. Yeah, but see, <clears> the problem with that is if it's a movie... Sometimes you like them pointing something out, and then you're like, "Fuck, I just watched it. I didn't see that." And then you have to put the movie back on and go watch it again. So you'd rather so you'd listen. So you say listen to the episode, then watch the movie after. Sometimes, yeah. Okay. Sometimes it can work in your favor. Okay. I guess, yeah. Right. Yep. Uh, Craig Meller, following the lyric reading at the end of the podcast, I had to immediately go read a rush lyric sheet to recover. Oh yeah, really? there you go. There is no Neil Pert in the band. There's no nothing in the band. <laughs> Stop. Well, I think Brett and Michaels and fucking Getty Lee attract the same female audience, right? Rush has never attracted a female ever. So I'll give Poison the edge in that category. Okay. Max Lynch. This album couldn't have come out at a worse time. Just before I graduated from high school between 86 and 88. <laughs> <laughs> I'm thinking it took you two years. I was just gonna say <laughs> the way he wrote that. I'm like, wait a minute, how long did it take you to graduate high school? Yeah, it seemed like every fucking band they were looking for drummers wanted to copy this gland image. Luckily, not necessarily their sound. Parachute pants were bad enough in the 80s. 
Now spandex and fishnet shirts were expected uh, stage attire. I owned none of it and no desire to develop that wardrobe. But then there was Kiss, that Kiss question I remembered. Are you willing to do anything to make it? Haunting words. Those might be the toughest two years I've endured as an upcoming musician. Painful memories. Thanks for opening up old wounds with an entertaining episode. <laughs> Oops, sorry. Yeah. Uh, Donaldson, Scott, great episode. Love when you have Jericho on. I have a similar taste in music to Chris, like Poison, 80s Kiss, etc. Did I hear correctly that Chris is starting to like Sonny Pooney? Sonny, <laughs> always entertaining, and you two could talk about anything, and it would be funny. Don't change. Oh, all right, Scott. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, Graham Richley, perfect episode. Just like Poison, it was smart, juvenile at times, and a hell of a lot of fun. I love Poison. 100% agree with Zeus about admiring them for literally having the balls to take on the world looking feminine enough to stir the adolescent's Chris Jericho's loins. Poison <laughs> reminded me a lot of the monkeys, a bunch of guys without huge musical talent who made catchy, upbeat songs and always looked to be living life the way you wish you had. I love Poison for the joy and energy they bring. And I think you all captured that in the episode. You are my number one bad boys. Dude, the monkeys are light years better than Poison. <laughs> and Davey's voice is much better than Brown's. Oh, that, 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 that's, the, that's the takeaway. Monkeys, give me that little greater than icon <laughs> Poison. Peter Tork, yeah. greater than C.C. DeVille. Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> Murph, yeah. you're better than C.C. DeVille. <laughs> and, and Mickey Dolenz was actually the, the main singer, and he had a very good voice. And I his like daughter was and his daughter. I was just going to say his daughter, Amy, in that movie that she was in with Tony Danza. Oh, oh. Somebody put up a, a Amy Dolenz photo on this episode review, oh. please. Yes. Oh, she was smoking. Oh. She's, no, she's, no, she's no Ricky Rocket, but she's hot. Yeah. <laughs> Again, Sonny back, Paul Hader. Uh, haven't changed my mind about Poison But really enjoyed the episode Jericho nailed it when recalling how the girls liking the band Led to us guys playing the band's music I actually think they had some okay tunes On some later albums All of that said I was damn glad back then When my favorite band finally came out with an album I've been waiting literally for years Hysteria Leopard were light years ahead of a band like Poison With tunes that boys, both boys and girls liked Absolutely Excuse me that boys and girls absolutely love and still stand the rest of time. Classic album. Wow. Well, that's our uh, Loudcasters group page okay. over on YouTube. YouTube. Crickets. Wow. I don't know what it is. I, I Our album review crew. YouTube does not get that much uh, action wow. but uh, than our KISS stuff does. Maybe because the variety and the tags on it or something. Could I don't be. know. Could be. All right. But. So let's, let's fly. Let's, let's, we got a, a handful of emails here. We're going to split them up. So Murph, I know you got a big one from our buddy Deuce that you wanted to read. Do you want to yes. take that one on? Absolutely. And just to circle back, cause I didn't want to leave anyone hanging. The movie Amy Dolan's was in, she's out of control. Beautiful. That's why you're here, Murph. Thank you. So, as mentioned, uh, from Deuce, quick story. Back in 1986, I was the program director of a small alternative radio station in Athens, Georgia. Played stuff you couldn't hear anywhere else. R.E.M., Husker Du, Love and Rockets, you get my point. 
Anyway, I remember going through the weekly shipment of new releases, and I came across a single, Cry Tough from Poison. No pictures, no info, nothing. Just a single, same song on both sides. Gave it a listen, thought to myself, this is okay, and I added to our playlist, albeit in a light rotation. Days later, I get a call from the Enigma Records rep thanking me for adding the song. I said, no big deal, it's an all right song. He thanked me again, saying that he was having a hard time getting other stations to play the song, and he appreciated me giving it a chance. Played for a month, no reaction from anyone, and we put it in the library. A year later, going through the new releases and see, look what the cat dragged in. Seeing the cover, I thought, there is no way I'm adding this. We don't play glam, hair, metal, rock, so I kept it for me. Take it home, listen to it, and kept thinking this song, Cry Tough, sounds so familiar. Where have I heard this before? Couldn't figure it out. Days later, same rep called me and asked if I got the new Poison album and asked if I'll be adding it to our playlist. Kind of laughed and said, you know, we don't play that kind of stuff. He then said, well, since you added Cry Tough last year, I thought there was a chance. Then it hit me. That's why the song sounded familiar. I actually had it playing on our station earlier. Hilarious. He wrapped it up by saying, we knew we wouldn't be playing anything else now that the band was starting to take off, but thanked me again for being one of the first stations in the region to play Poison on the radio. Thanks for this episode, guys. It really brought me back to a cool time in my life. Deuce. Wow, that's awesome. So so as soon as he saw what they looked like, he's like, fuck it. I'm not going to play them. Cool. Nice. Uh, Sonny, you got something you want to read, too, and then I'll finish off with a, with a couple over here, too. As Tom mentioned earlier, Wes sent us a Twitter thing, too, but he sent us an email. So great show as always when Jericho wasn't taking over it. Ooh. <laughs> oh, nice. I probably haven't listened to that album in 30 years and remember why the opening track started out with flat vocals and a fluctuating drum speed and only went downhill from there. Only two good songs on there and full disclosure. I may have borrowed a bit from talk dirty to me for the song rulers of rock on our deafest and baddest album. So you hate it, but you ripped off part. Mm. Okay. Surprised no one ever called me out on it, but guess with little or no promotion, not too many people heard it. (laughs) I have to share producer Rick Browdy's assessment of the record, and if I recall correctly, there was talk he did some guitar parts on it. I do think Poison got better as it went along, but not one of my favorite bands of the era. Nice. Thanks. I love when Wes always emails us little insider factoids from his career as, as being in a band. So that's cool. Thanks. Like breaking we'll f- the law. You mean? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh. Why not? And then we'll finish with Mike multiple email H who loves to just fire off emails. So here we go. Just letting you guys know. Let me start over here. Just letting you know that you guys are probably the only two on the planet that could get me to listen to anything that has to do with poison. My father always used to say, if you can't find anything nice to say, then say nothing. But I found something nice to say. I saw poison open for kiss poison, closed their set with rock and roll all night. The Kings of lame. That is the worst fucking cover in the history of covers. And if you've never heard their version of it, go get the less than zero soundtrack. It's unlistenably horrible, brutal. Um, and then he, then he just chimes in with one last one. One of their album covers has four really hot chicks. Oh, wait, never mind. That's Mike H. We love Mike. So that's feedback from uh, the poison episode. So uh, I think it's time to get into it. Right, Zeus? What do you think? Oh, can't wait. Oh, boy. So um, 
the uh, it was my choice this time, and obviously, uh, you guys will find out rather uh, quickly what I think of the Eagles and uh, this album specifically. Uh, I love them. Uh, they are right up there with Kiss for me. I love bands that have multi singers. I love the harmonies. Remember, I, I'm also a country fan, so these guys are right in the zone. A little country rock. They started that whole little movement. Them, Jackson Brown, and a bunch of those people uh, were doing that kind of music. Joni Mitchell, all that. The uh, Graham Parsons, all that stuff was going around back then. Well, the Eagles, for me, besides being a lot of people's favorite band and uh, huge success and one of the biggest bands of all time, and bestsellers and things like that, I, I guess we always talk about where we got into them. So I remember as a kid hearing about the Eagles when I was little, just like, you know, Kiss, you'd hear about bands and stuff. I remember older people that I knew uh, I hear the Eagles and stuff. And I remember hearing about this band called the Eagles that broke up around 79, right around the time when I was discovering there are other bands other than Kiss. I started, you know, you, you hear about different bands and stuff, but I moved on, didn't think much of them. Years later, you would see videos by these artists You'd start hearing, uh, seeing them on MTV. I'd start seeing Glenn Fry. I, you know, you hear some Joe Walsh songs. You would uh, hear uh, Don Henley solo stuff. Didn't equate it really with the Eagles. And then MTV once in a while would put the old Hotel California video up. And I remember watching that and thinking, wow, like that image of this band. And I'm like, that guy's Don Henley? But then I'd hear like Glenn Fry was in the band, but I'm like, I don't see him. I can't see him. I don't know where he is. And then at one point they show, because he's not really much in that video. They show this bushy mustache. I'm like, holy fuck. What the fuck is he? Did anybody tell him how stupid he looks like that? And then, so my mind was like, oh, when I discovered them as solo artists, but it wasn't buying their albums or anything. Didn't think anything of it. When I was in high school, my senior year and people are starting to, Get gear up for college So they start doing shit for their resume Like Tom you were in like the Ski club or a bunch of other clubs I remember you talked So I would join in when they were doing the photos For all the clubs I jumped in all the photos <laughs> I, was, I was in like Macrame clubs and everything else Ski clubs even though I've never skied before So I would do that in The physics club F- phys- Physics club So I did that and the other thing I did I don't know if you know this Tom But I went, ran for student council treasurer, mm-hmm. and I won. Now that's voted by the school. Oh boy! And and my and my slogan was, "Don't be a douche. Vote for Zeus." <laughs> in the bathrooms, wow. and I put that in all the bathrooms. Oh my and, god! Um, yeah, occasionally one of the house deans asked me if that was me putting that up. I'm like, "Oh, it's just my friends no. trying to be funny." My opposition. Anyways, I won much to dismay of like real serious kids that like, oh, I really want to take care of the school. And I was like, woohoo, that's going to look good on my resume. Regardless, they had in student council a room for student council. And it was right on the second floor at Arlington High. And you can use that room. And technically, I could get passes because I was in there. 
And I did whatever the fuck I want. Imagine what a what an obnoxious fucking fuck I was back then. You know, just doing whatever the hell I want. I could write myself passes. I did whatever. I should bring chicks in there, fuck around with them. Oh, oh, love it. High school hero, lifetime zero. But <laughs> when I was in there, they had a tape machine, which was state of the art probably back then. One cassette was in there. It was the Eagles Live. Wow. So I thought, like, oh, I like Hotel California. Anytime I would go in there, I would just play it in the background. After a while, I was like, I fucking love these tunes. What is this shit? I didn't know anything about them. I didn't know only knew Hotel California. And I constantly would play Eagles Live. And you know me, if if you know, I get very much like my OCD and my ADD jumps in. Like, I've got to get this. My impulsive nature jumps in. So I go out and buy the fucking CD. Then I buy the next one. And then I buy the next one. And then I buy the next one. And next thing you know, I'm in love with it. Don Henley had just come out with his uh, End of the Innocence. That was our class song. So I was. it was huge for me. By the time we were in freshman year, I would hang out down the end of the corridor in Pitt South with the mutants. Remember them? Oh, yeah. They were like sophomores that stayed with us. And they yep. were called the mutants. So go, go figure what that was like. And they would always blast Don Henley's like Heart of the Matter, uh, Last Worthless Evening. And the Eagles, it fucking stuck with me. And that was my own little private thing. Like there wasn't many other people you could be like, hey, do you like the Eagles? We were too busy to kiss, grunge, hip hop, and all that shit was developing. But I fell in love with them. Finally, when they did the uh, uh, Hell Freezes Over tour, I went with uh, a couple of the life gods that I was fucking around with at the MDC pool at Dillboy Field in Somerville, Tom. Yeah. At the MDC, the best fucking hack job you'll ever get. So when they talk about government waste, MDC is the king of it. <laughs> so, so because I knew some the state rep, they got me a job because these are government jobs at the MDC rink at Dillboy. You know what I'm talking about? Of course, right Murph, Murph, Murph knows too. Yeah. Oh yeah. So when I was there, the hours were nine till five. I would show up ten thirty or eleven. We were supposed to keep the grounds clean. All I would do is try to hook up with all the lifeguards. We would take like hour and a half, two hour lunches and be gone by two. And I got paid back then like 12 bucks an hour Mm. and no taxes taken out. Mm -hmm. And I had this job for four years straight every (laughs) summer. The worst fucking hack job of all time. Anyway. I got to take a couple of them and Rye Guy, and we saw them at Great Woods. Mm-hmm. Fucking incredible. That was the time when, I mean, if you know about the Eagles, they have a real chip on their shoulders with any critics or anything like that. I guess the Globe at the time was, or something, no, it wasn't the Globe. It was BCN mm-hmm. had bitched about and made fun of them because at the time, their tickets were like $100 to see them on that hell freezes over tour because it just got back and i gladly paid it they put the bcn radio programmers 
fucking phone number on the screen during Dirty Laundry and fucking put it up there and left it the whole song so people could call them and harass them. <laughs> the, they're anyway. the most the most humorless band in history. <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah. They they make Paul Stanley seem like a guy who could take a joke. Oh yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, throughout the years. This was always my deep dive. I can listen to them. That's the guy that I want to sound like when I'm in the car driving the Eagles, uh, doing Don Henley's voice, Randy Meisner, Don Feld. Like, I followed this all the way through, through all the you know highs and lows, the drama through the band after the reunion. And to the point now that one of my biggest pride is that I've gotten my daughter to love them. Mm-hmm. And we don't have any connection with music. But all of a sudden she was like, can you play that song Hotel California again? Asking me what it's about. What does it mean? Next thing you know, dad, dad, she's texting me. She's in Cape right now with her cousins. Guess what song I'm playing? And I'm like, Desperado. How'd you know? Are you checking my phone on Spotify? I'm like, nope. She like Desperado, wasted time. Obviously, she's a big fan of um, Henley's voice. But then she's like, oh, I like, uh, you know. I don't know what's we'll oh take it to the limit mm-hmm. and you know it's just it's a wonderful feeling to the point where we talked about this and I'm like Tom they're playing Hotel California the whole album through not Ace Frehley's 78 solo album but the whole album through and they're on tour at the garden and you're like I'll do it I'm like are you fucking kidding me and my daughter wants to do it now this will be her second concert she got to see Kiss live, where she just looked in her phone the whole time. <laughs> I, I hope that she'll like this more. So me, you, Natalia going, and then we convince somebody else on this podcast to go with us. And that's Murph and his lovely daughter. Can't fucking wait. Um, I've seen them one other time before that. This will be um, my third time seeing them. Fucking love them. Love them. And it's one of those things that, you know, you better go see your band when you get the chance because you don't know if they'll be there. The fact that Glenn Fry is no longer there is just, you know, it, it doesn't make me feel like I'm, I'm seeing Kiss without Paul or Gene because his son's there. So it makes me feel. And they, plus, I like Vince Gill. So mm-hmm. that covers it for me. But I've had a, you know, I wouldn't say lifelong, but a high school to a present. Love affair with them, and I easily can say them and um, Kiss are probably my two favorites, along with a couple others. But but as far as bands go, and um, Kiss is my guilty pleasure that I can brag about, and the Eagles is my fuck you. This band kicks ass. They've done this, 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 this that I can brag about. So that's my thoughts on the Eagles. Let's go to our guest next, and we'll follow our traditional order. Murph. Sure. Uh, so with the Eagles, um, I, I've noticed over the, the episodes, uh, Zeus, you've mentioned how you got into Kiss. It was a cousin, Tommy, and music with your sister over the years. Uh, for me, I'm the oldest. Uh, growing up, it was just whatever my mother was playing. That's why, and Tommy, we've talked about this and even you know had some laughs over the years that – in college, I'd be like, here are the Barry Manilow BG records from my mother's house at, you know, or my parents' house and bring it to play along. So a lot of the acts I've just stumbled upon 
what's interesting, Zeus, is my story is similar to yours where you know, my I didn't know of the Eagles. I knew of Henley first. Dirty yeah. Laundry, Boys of Summer, uh, mm-hmm. End of the Innocence came out when we were seniors in high school. So I knew his stuff first, but then senior year, um, I stumbled upon Hotel California. Started playing it, and so what I ended up doing was my first Eagles album was Greatest Hits Volume 2, not even the the first one. Yep. So that's where I ended up stumbling. Murph, to- I'm going to stop you there because yeah. I, I do want to take a quick question, ask you a quick question. When you heard that the Eagles won was the, like the biggest selling album all the time, were you the same way when you got into the Eagles and you're like, okay, where's Hotel California? How's this the biggest fucking yeah. album? <clears throat> like, I don't get this. Who the fuck well, is it? <laughs> that's where it was on Volume 2. So I'm yeah. going, okay, <laughs> so – What's on volume one? Like, how big is this catalog? Because by the time I was done listening to volume two, um, Timothy Schmidt, uh, I can't tell you why. That was actually my favorite song off of the Greatest Hits volume two. So I was bouncing all over the place. And uh, yeah, Zeus, obviously, you're not a fan of that. But it wasn't until sophomore year in college that I actually started listening to Eagles volume one. And then it wasn't until years later that I actually started going into the actual albums. Um, And I think what I've liked about the band over the years is that they are polarizing. I always think of, um, you know, the big Lebowski. Dude, I fucking hate the Eagles, man. Can you play (laughs) something different? I've had a really long day. Some people love them. Some people hate them. But if I was to play any of their albums here at the house – I'm not going to offend anyone. Uh, you know, Christina, my wife's become a fan, as you mentioned, Zeus, uh, Ashley, my older daughter is coming along to it. it. It might come across the wrong way. They're a safe band, but their music, because it's the bluegrass country, you know, classic rock, it's not going to, you know, just people aren't going to walk out of the room. You might get a ribbing about some of the songs that you play, and I'm sure we're going to get a ribbing on some of the songs in this episode here, but it is a band that I think crosses a lot of different uh, demographics and, you know, going through the, the documentary, they, they were getting the, the female and male audiences. And that's why I think, you know, it's easier to become a super group. And then they just kept the hits coming out that kept everyone coming. Yeah. Nice. Nice. Here we go. <laughs> Come on, Sonny. All right. <clears throat> so I'm getting into music later on in life, 1984 <clears throat> ish. So Eagles aren't exactly big topic of conversation at that point. So then the solo stuff starts to hit from Glenn Fry, Don Henley that you start seeing on MTV. Um, and I was definitely into that music. So then you started hearing about the Eagles a little bit. Uh, Hell freezes over was my entry point. I saw the special on MTV in 94. Uh, loved the song. Love us. Love will keep us alive. Absolutely loved that song. So I'm like, all right, let me kind of check out the Eagles, but I'm not going to buy all these fucking albums. Like, what am I going to do? Well, my ex-wife was a big fan, so she had all the albums. So I'm like, all right, let me play some of this stuff. And honestly, it didn't super connect with me. I'd heard the major hits off of Hotel California, but I remember exactly where I was the first time I heard Hotel California, the album, all the way through. Because honestly, it was an unforgettable listen. And surprisingly, it's it's just uh, it's 
amazing that I remember because of the amount of Jack that I've drank in my life, but I do. <laughs> it was in my car. It was 9.19 a.m. I was on the way to work on June 22nd, 26 days ago, because I don't own the second album. Oh, you had me there for a minute there, buddy. <laughs> you tell a good story. <laughs> um, of course, I had heard the hits. Yeah. Eagles is just, it's exactly what Zeus said. It's, if you love country music, you probably have a connection to it right away. They blended a lot of the stuff with some great harmonies. That's wonderful. It's when I'm getting into music. It's by the time that I'm ready to give these guys a shot. I'm 10 years deep into Prince, hair metal, the yeah. rock that's coming out, blah, 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 the, all the hits that were on. And I still love the Fry and the Henley hits to this point. Right? We were listening to the other day. We listened to Don Henley's greatest hits. It's one of the best greatest hits albums there is out there. Yep. Right? So, but uh, yeah, the Eagles overall for me just did not uh, super connect. It's not very hip. <clears throat> You're not like, you know, as we get older, you can get into them. But it's not like fucking people are blasting Zeppelin in high school parties. No one's blasting the Eagles at high school parties when we were growing up. I, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm going to be honest. So, well, you're right. Susan, and actually, I remember uh, when we were living all together in the same quad junior year. And that was when everyone, I think, during those college years got really into Zeppelin. Grunge was at its peak. And you were the one that kept saying the Eagles partied just as hard or harder than everyone else. And we we're like, ah, Zeus, get out of here. So it, it was always at times an uphill battle trying to sell the Eagles to someone that wasn't, you know, just didn't care for that music. You know, we were into different sounds at the time. You almost had to just kind of find it on your own, like you did in, in high school in that, that classroom. And then just kind of go on your own deep dive. And for me, it, it took a while. I mean, it wasn't until well into my late twenties that I started listening to songs beyond just the the classic hits and actually listening to the sound you know, the, the banjo and the mandolin and the other sounds in that album, but it took time. Yeah. You know, it's funny you say that, but that goes back to the seventies. Is that our favorite, you know, for us, is that our favorite era? Led Zeppelin, Kiss, Aerosmith, the Eagles. I don't know if there's anything better than that. And I, what I would probably say is, you know, the, the Eagles would always say, they all say that, you know, all these bands, like, we're the best part. We were the biggest act that during the 70s. Fuck Zeppelin. We were the biggest partiers. And then Zeppelin's like, give me a fucking break. And they're all competing. But the biggest selling artists of all time, Elton John, Led Zeppelin, the Eagles. That's all that era, you know? And those classic tunes and those tours and everything, the innocence that was, you got rid of the hippie shit, and then you get into some fucking hard good shit in the 70s. But it's interesting. Now I'm curious to hear what uh, Tom has got to say here. Those are all good segues into where I come in with the Eagles. So I have a very, I have a very interesting relationship personally with the Eagles. Meaning, for starters, I've never owned a single album of theirs ever. Um, and there's multiple. There's a couple reasons why I felt like I never had to own an Eagles record. Because they were always on the fucking radio. And it grew to be a band that I went through a phase where I legitimately hated the Eagles. I used I to tell people, well. I used to, I used to tell people, I 
fucking hate the Eagles because it's the same reason why I hate the Steve Miller band because I never wanted to hear life in the fast lane again, or I never wanted to hear swing town from I'm like, because at that time you didn't have streaming music. You, you, you listened to the radio and I've, I've been listening to the radio since I was about seven or eight years old. So I've been hearing hotel California, take it to the limit life in the fast lane, all these songs for years and years. And you guys kind of hint at to me, because I was like, so into music, buying music, like just consuming music. The Eagles to me always came across as that band that people, people who didn't like music, they listened to the Eagles. Oh, oh, you're going to have a barbecue. Let's put the Eagles on in the background because like Murph, like they're a safe band. They're not offensive. They're not loud. They don't have electric guitars like, you know, journey or, you know, or like foreigner or those other like semi harder rocking classic rock bands. They were a nice classic, like soft rock band at the time, which is not a bad thing, but it just became to the point where, you know, kind of like Zeppelin, and I I love Zeppelin just because the, the the way that their music affected me. But it was like I can't remember a period of my life with Zeppelin wasn't a part of it in a positive way. And it's like I couldn't remember a period of my life when the Eagles weren't a part of my life because they were just always there. I mean, they sell hundreds and hundreds of millions of records for a reason, and they're on classic radio constantly to this day for a reason. If you have satellite radio, classic rewind and classic vinyl play them nonstop, which is fine. So it was the hit after hit after hit. And I love that classic, like soft rock term. I'll call it like two of my favorite artists in the entire world are Elton John and Billy Joel. And then you guys know how much I love Steely Dan, just a real kind of weird kind of classic soft rock jazzy kind of band. And I love that stuff. So fast forward to where I am recently as I get older. And I know this is going to kind of make, this is kind of making the joke that I just made about how like, it's safe. Like older people listen to the Eagles. Like Paul Stanley would say, you listen to the Eagles, not me. You know what I mean? Like it was always like that. Like when I was younger, I was like, no, older people listen to the Eagles. Have you ever heard like, you know, take it easy. It's a nice song, but like, that's something my, my aunt would listen to. But now I'm like that age. And I'm like, <laughs> now I'm that age. And I'm like, I like the Eagles. And now to the point where I was excited to get tickets to go see them with Zeus, where 10 years ago, I would have been like, that's insane. I wouldn't pay $20 for an Eagles <laughs> ticket. Now me and Zeus are like, let's get good seats. I want to see this. So I, I, I enjoy the Eagles a lot now. And I think my ears have kind of matured a little bit. I think I'm, you know, I'm older. I'm going to be 48 in a week. <laughs> and I come to find out too, that I mentioned Steely Dan. Steely Dan is like a Mount Rushmore band for me that they're, they're a niche. They're on an Island compared to all my other bands. that I love, you know, kiss Metallica rush, but something about Steely Dan. And, I noticed, listen to this particular album, and, and it's funny because we'll talk about some of the the friendship ally that the two bands have. The Eagles have a lot in common with Steely Dan in terms of their their arrangements, their musicality. The Eagles are more bluegrass, you know, country southern rock, where Steely Dan comes from a much more jazz jazz fusion type. But they share a lot in common in terms of pristine to the point obsessive musicianship like Donald Fagan and Walter Becker were Don Henley and Glenn Fra like they were obsessed with performance and lyrics. accuracy in lyrics. There's shit. Everything's important. Everything matters to the yeah. point to a fault. So 
you know, I'm going to talk about that a little bit more as we go. But that being said, and I will say this, I have never owned an Eagles album and I don't know an Eagles song other than their greatest hits. So the songs on Hotel California, I have never heard before in my life other than the hits. So I was excited so to hear three the- songs. <laughs> Correct. So I was excited to hear the rest of this album. And as we continue, I'm excited to talk about what, what I heard. So, yeah, it, and that's just the thing. So just to give a little bit of background, because I, I know Murph would probably can uh, help me out on some uh, areas that I miss out. When we're getting into Hotel California, um, a little background on the band. The band was basically, there was four of them originally. So it was Don Henley, Glenn Fry, uh, Randy Meisner, and Bernie Ledden. So those were the four. And I remember when I got into the Eagles, I'm like, who's this fucking guy? <laughs> And then I'm like, where's Joe Walsh? Like, where's what, what the fuck? And you don't realize that the first Joe Walsh was only on the the first six albums. He was on two of them. That's mm-hmm. it. You know, and, and you're like, what? Where the fuck is this other guy? Bernie Ledden was on four fucking albums. What the hell? And so those guys at one point, they met sometime years, years ago, I think. in was it 71? I'm not sure. They ended up being the backup band for Linda Ronstadt. Okay, and there were just different musicians. You've got um, what's his name is from Ledin was originally, I think, from Florida. Uh, one uh, Meisner's from, uh, I think, Nebraska. Uh, Don Henley was from Texas. And uh, the Motor City guy whose buddies grew up with Seeger and stuff was from uh, Michigan. Uh, uh, Glenn Fry. None of them were Californian. <laughs> None of them. And when you think of the Eagles, you think of Southern California. But they all went there to find the dream and something was happening there. All that, all the musicians around that area, or, you know, Joni Mitchell, you got, uh, like we talked to the Flying Burrito Brothers, you got um, all sorts of fucking bands that were growing up the Southern California sound, Grant Parsons and stuff. So those guys ended up backing up Linda Ronstadt. And right away, the two main guys were the two hungriest guys, Glenn Fry and Henley. But they were the least experienced. Meisner was already in the band Poco and uh, Ledin was in the Flying Burrito Brothers and been playing with uh, some of those like um, uh, Crosby, Stills guys, some of those different variations. So they were like the more Jimmy Page, shall we say, John Paul Jones and the other two were the new ones. So those two led in the other one were the real leaders. But eventually what ends up happening is. The other two's dominant personalities made this kiss part two. Oh yeah, <laughs> and they just fucking took over. Uh, there, they they were complete opposites. Glenn Fry was the fucking rock and roll guy, wanted more rock in the band, was a kind of like fun guy, all this shit. And Don Henley was the the former like college English writer, uh, writer that everything was thought out, meticulous. So serious, everything was fucking like I'm a I'm an artist. I'm not a musician. I'm an artist. This is an art form I'm presenting to you, and and that shit. And the other two guys were you know musicians. Uh, Ledin was a fucking multi instrumentalist, play every fucking string and so you can imagine. And but all of them could sing too. So the four of them are doing well. Things are going well. They start growing up, getting better and better and better. The, if you watch the history of the Eagles, probably my top favorite 
documentary of all time. And you see the progression. (laughs) The best is the beginning when they get with Glenn Johns, the famous producer of The Who and Zeppelin and all that other shit. And they're like, we want to rock out more. And he's like, a dick. Like, he's just, no, you're fucking doing this. You guys are not a rock band. You guys cannot do this. The Who is a rock band. You are not. You're going to do these harmonies. That's that's what you're going to be doing. And they still grew to the point where eventually they kicked them out and want to get a little more rock sound in them. So the first change is uh, Bernie Ledin knew Don Felder, who was teaching people guitar, including a future Tom Petty in Florida. So all of a sudden they add Don Felder in. And he comes in, he does the awesome solo and Already Gone, one of my favorite Eagles songs. The guitar on that is incredible. And he joins the band on the previous album, one of these nights. Now there's five Eagles. When he joins and they're starting to get more rocking, now Ledin doesn't like it. And so he's now kind of thinking, okay, well, he's going to take over and I'm going to leave. Eventually he ends up dumping a bear on his fucking, on Glenn <laughs> Fry's head. <laughs> he just dumps it all over his head. And he's like, you need to chill the fuck out. <laughs> and then they were talking, was that other great part in the uh, documentary about, okay, uh, we're putting this part on, we're doing this part. Uh, Bernie, what do you think? I think I'm going to go surfing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's all, yeah. So he's out. Now they had the same manager and producer, Bill Simsnack now is doing all their shit. No relations to uh, the guy that runs a podcast, but he comes in and he works with Joe Walsh. So they already kind of planned and they were touring and Walsh was opening for them. So they already kind of planned for Walsh to come on in. And Fry loves this because he's like, oh, we may not sing as well anymore with our harmonies and shit, but now we're going to fucking rock out with Joe Walsh. And he gives them a a lot more credibility. Mm -hmm. So now we're at the point where Hotel California, they just came off a number one album. There's like as high as can be that, you know, they're constantly getting bigger and better and they're working on this new album and it's taken them a while. Uh, Fry and uh, Henley are the two main writers Everyone else contributes a little bit But uh, it's taken a little while So the record company decides to throw a little uh, Greatest Hits album out Right before they do this And drops that And that record album, The Greatest Hits Ends up becoming like the biggest selling album of all time That record album, along with Hotel California For a period of 18 months the Eagles sold a million albums a month. That's fucking <laughs> insane. I think of that. I know. Huh? That's mad. Insane. That's madness. The Eagles greatest hits is flying off the charts. So now there's even more pressure on them to get started on hotel California. Well, they get together and they start doing it and all, you know, and all they ends up releasing the album December 8th, 1976. On Asylum Records It's produced again by Bill Simsnack Who is Been the producer ever since uh, Their third album On the border So he's producing the album Um, The album obviously Goes to number one It's the fifth studio album Six if you kind of count the uh, Greatest hits album for them It goes 26 Times platinum 
making it one of the biggest selling albums. I believe it's, um, if I'm not mistaken, number three all time in the U.S. So I think it goes greatest hits, thriller, and then Hotel California. Uh, that's how much the Eagles sold. <laughs> uh, it's sold 32 million worldwide. When you think about it, that means they don't do that well outside of the U.S. From 26 to only 32. It's the first album with Joe Walsh. It's the first without Bernie Ledden. And it's the last with Randy Meisner. It lost album of the year to Fleetwood Mac's Rumors. So I guess that's <laughs> that was a pretty big year for albums, huh? Which the Eagles have a lot in common with a band like Fleetwood Mac in terms yeah, of in terms time, of you- the drama, the multi-vocalist, the, the arrangements, the instrumentation. And that's a reason why Rumors is up there in terms of album sales as well, too. But And yeah. I own the same amount of albums from both, so perfect. <laughs> <laughs> so it stays eight weeks at number one. It's platinum in its first fucking week. And it didn't start off as such. And we'll get to the tracks and all that other stuff. But they did Hotel California first. And we'll talk about that when we get to the song. But because of Hotel California came out first, they started coming up with, let's make this like a theme. Let's make this a kind of, and the songs that started coming in started following this concept. And it's the cost of naivete, naivete, perils of fame, excess, exploration of the dark underbelly of the American dream, idealism realized, idealism thwarted, illusion versus reality, the difficulties of balancing uh, uh, loving relationships and work, trying to squeeze conflicting relationships between business and art, the corruption in politics, the fading away of the 60s dream of peace, love, and understanding. And I'm like, dude, that's like a 50,000 things. Why are you trying to make it seem like it's one theme? That's it's- exactly the, that's what that's what, what, what Kiss did with Love Gun. It was yeah. all about those topics. <laughs> yeah. They covered all that. Yeah. Yeah, especially when he got to then she kissed me. Yeah, exactly. Right? See, so there you go. At the end, he got the right. kiss. Exactly. Yeah. Theory on animalized at the time, exactly. right? <laughs> yeah. It ends in murder. What do you think? When we wrote Murder in High Heels, we were talking about the naivete of the 60s. <laughs> so that's the background of the album. Anybody else want to add anything? I just think, you know, it, it's stunning to me, and I'd be interested to, to to look into a band that has an album that sells like Greatest Hits Volume 2 and then puts out their biggest album. No, you know, uh, Greatest Hits 1. I'm sorry, my, my mistake. Greatest yeah. Hits 1 and then puts out, you know, Hotel Cal, like an album. Like, like having those back-to-back in terms of the albums that you've released is just stunning. So just for the record, just because I know Sonny loves lists, biggest selling albums in the United States. Yeah. 38 says for the Eagles, greatest hits. Michael Jackson's Thriller, 33. The Eagles, Hotel California, 26. Coming in at 25 million, an artist we've covered on this show before. Any guesses? Guns and Roses. Metallica, the Black Album. Sonny got it. Oh, Back in Black? Back in Black. Um, number four, another favorite album of ours and a favorite band of ours, same era. Ooh, same era. Yeah. Oh, came out in 71. Ap- Appetite came out in 1971. Oh, 1971. Oh, Zeppelin four. Murph yes. got it. Yep. 
and the band that whose album won the Grammy that year, Rumors 20. Rumors. Yep. Nice. 70s, huh? Jeez. You go down that a little bit, <clears throat> you go down that a little bit more, you'll find Harder Than Hell on the list. It'll go way down. It's there. <laughs> you'll find Peter Chris's One for All. <laughs> Yeah, until until they start counting streaming and all that kind of stuff, somehow that list will be forever. You can just gold that list. I mean, that's the thriller. Uh, Eagles' greatest hits thing was going back forth, back forth, back forth for years. Now that the Eagles taking the top spot, you might as well just cement that list because it's never going to change. It is because there'll always be reissues. There'll be things like that, and then people will start getting into with the whole like album craze and the. Uh, you know, vinyl stuff that might change it a little bit. There's gonna I, I be, don't know. About there's gonna that be there's because... gonna be people there's gonna be people like me that buy the reissued 180 gram vinyl with original album artwork gatefold. Wow, yeah, that yeah. is fucking insane. I remember when I was still like, I think it was in college and stuff. The Eagles had like some state of the art Dolby fucking HD sound. Like yep. they always do this shit with uh, Hotel California reissue it with like something new technology. I was like Jesus Christ. Like what the fuck? Like just reissue the album, whatever. But yep, yeah. The so, Eagles deserve what they got. There's no doubt about that. Yeah. I'm just telling you that the selling will never be the same again because radio was controlling what you can hear, so you only heard certain things. Now that the world's available to you to sell 30 million copies of th- something, think about it. There's only about 150 million households. One out of every five houses are going to have an album. And there's no way I don't even got one out of five friends that like the same song on the girlfriend text group. Right. So <laughs> there's no way that's going to happen. Right. And you think about those out, al- those, those albums that are on that list though, the reason that they're going to continue to sell is because they're almost like essential. Like they're, they're, they're part of growing up as a music fan. Yeah. You, you, you're gonna, you're gonna own an Eagles album. You're going to own Michael Jackson. You're going to own an ACDC album. You know, a Zeppelin album. They're they're it's essential listening, even if you're not a huge fan of those. And it gets to the point too where as a music fan, as a consumer, as a collector, you want them in your collection because you you want to be able to say that you, you're part of that. Oh yeah, I have I have the biggest selling albums of all time. Look at look at what's in my collection. But then I also have the stuff that I really like. You know, my mm. niche bands over here. But oh yeah, I have I have Zeppelin Four. I have Back in Black. I have Hotel California. They just they're never gonna go away. Yeah, yeah. Um, It'll be like uh, beating the home run record. Oh, that's the steroid era. So even oh, yeah. if somebody figures out the technology to sell a hundred million albums and have ha- it'll have asterisk. an asterisk. Oh, no, 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 that happened afterwards. That doesn't really count. Yeah. They that's do it the hard way. That's yep. why people give shit to Garth Brooks. Cause he found a way to try to take those claims, reissuing stuff, doing yeah. stuff differently, selling it this way. And they're yeah. like, Oh, he sold more albums than the Beatles or Elvis. Bullshit. He did. Right. <laughs> people were like, right. dude, he's putting out the same shit with different cover every time. And yep. just so people will buy this one. It's like, whatever. Yep. But, yep. I we get the point. So now what we usually do is we talk about the cover. The yes, album cover. Now yep. this is iconic. I mean, plain and simple. If you don't know uh the Eagles Hotel California cover, I mean I know the rumors cover from Fleetwood Mac and I've never owned it. Yep. But I could point it out and I could say, you know, that might be the top of our list if we ever did that album. Uh, this my we'll see where this one is, but this album cover is iconic. The, it's the Beverly Hills Hotel. 
Shot Before Sunset by David Alexander, with design and art direction by Josh John Kosh. Mm-hmm. Though the album credits Kosh and Henley for art direction. Um, I'll be getting credit for that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, you don't understand. The song needs another verse. Okay, Gene, we get it. You want to put your name on it? Yep. Uh, maybe a little bit of that, too. So they shot a couple of different hotels, and then they basically said, okay, this is the one we want. They went like 60 feet above Sunset Boulevard, and on top of a cherry picker, uh, the hotel, when they later found out, like, shit, that's us? <laughs> Uh, they threatened legal action against them. Uh, the back cover is the Lido Hotel, apparently in Hollywood. Inside, if you open up your gatefold, Tom, there's mm-hmm. you know pictures of the band members and their friends, a collection of people from all walks of life, people on the edge, fringes of society, and then comes the fun part. Yep. Oh, yeah. They sold their souls to the devil. Hotel California. That's about the hotel that was taken over by Anton LaVey. You know, the Church of Satan, a.k.a. Tony Musalem. <laughs> <laughs> he looks like Anton LaVey. I'm sorry. Um, and, and then if you look at the album, holy shit, that's him on the balcony. Yep. And they point to it. Now, I don't know if you could really see it, what you think, if it really him, if he was there, if the image is done, that shadowy figure on the balcony is really him. Um, I think it just adds to the mystique. And it's the 70s. And it's the whole, you know, Zeppelin, them, oh, this satanic, satanic movies, this whole Satan culture and all this stuff. And everybody's into it. I find that shit fascinating. I love it. Inside is a picture of the band looking fucking stoned as hell. And all their pictures, they look stoned as hell. Now, I have the vinyl. Zeus, look at this. I, I know I know this is an audio format, but look at yeah. this. It's a color poster yeah. of, of, of that picture. They look amazing. It's like the 70s and Ooh. all its glory. It's fantastic. Yeah, Glenn Fry looks Fucking baked out his mind. Oh, yeah. Don Felder always looks high. Joe Walsh looks like the most normal looking one. Oh yeah. Um, yep. what's his name is looking like spaced out. Randy Mize is spaced out, and Don Henley looks shit faced laughing underneath it because he never laughs. And that goes to what my favorite quote of the serious musician, but it may be my favorite quote of all time. Okay, from any musician. What Glenn Fry said about Don Henley. No one can suck the fun out of a room faster than Don Henley. <laughs> yep. <laughs> That's that such a great... One fucking bad takedown. Yep. Um, but they look fucking cool here. Yep. Smashed and baked out of their mind or coked up or whatever. And then, you know, you got the neon Hotel California on the front. Just, I think, legendary. Yeah. Let's go around. It... Uh, Murph? Yeah, Murph, go want... ahead. Yeah. Uh, the, the album... Iconic, uh, the the album cover, uh, Tommy and Zeus. I know I had sent you a picture that I took when I was in Disney about eight years ago. It was sunset. There were palm trees, and the hotel just looked. I was like, oh, that looks like the cover of Hotel California. Took mm-hmm. the picture and have saved that to my phone ever since. So it, it is something where you have albums that have covers that are known to everyone 
but may not have the music to back it up. Um, but when you have the sales and success of this, it just all comes together. And then uh, to take it even further, the, oh, is that Satan? And it just, it adds to the mythology and, and legend of the, of, of the album and, uh, and the band. Sonny, what do you think of the cover? Yeah, I think the front cover, if there were, you know, there was a talk about they were looking for something sinister or kind of a sinister edge. It gives you that, right? It's amazing to me how your mind can work any way you want it. If you're looking mm-hmm. for enough sinister stuff, it's there. If you're just looking for, it's a cool kind of background scape. And it was a cool, you know, place where they took the picture from. And that's all it is. That's fine. Um, I guess whatever fits the story, these guys, all the 70 bands are good about fitting stories afterwards after, you know, writing about fucking a bowl of fruit. And then all of a sudden it's this huge thing. Um, But I'll tell you this shadowy figure. Notice how they're leaning. Mm -hmm. This is a 1976 photo bomb. That's what that is. Oh, yeah. That's somebody coming out of their room wondering what the fuck is going on and why they didn't get invited downstairs. That's what that is. That is the the drama. Don't ruin the don't ruin the story. That's Tony Musalem. Yeah, yeah. Don't be a curmudgeon. <laughs> yeah, that's Tony at nine years old. <laughs> well, he hey guys, have a what lot you, of hair. Hey guys, what are you doing down there? You're too loud. <laughs> Trying to write restrained music. <laughs> Tony, would you please go downstairs and tell them to turn down the noise and shave your mustache. Yeah, so, so like Sonny said, like with, with, when it talks about the sinister aspect that that they were looking at, like it, it is. It, you you said it perfectly, Sonny. It's it's kind of what I was going to say about how your mind can tell you what you want it to tell you. So when when somebody tells you, oh, we were looking for a kind of a sinister edge, when you look at it and you hear those words, you're like, yeah, it does look kind of mysterious. You know what? It, 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 sometimes you look at it, it, almost looks like the trees are on fire the way the sun is hitting them, and then and then other people would be like, that's a gorgeous luxury hotel at sunset be like that really is a pretty picture so you know it depends on where your mind is but it is iconic in the angle of it and it's funny we talk about album artwork a lot and i think this this album this this cover is is unique because it does portray visually what you are about to hear Especially the, the 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 stories behind the title track, which we're going to obviously get into. But I, I think it's an iconic cover. I think it, it conveys an image, and I I, I love it. I mean, I, even if you don't like the Eagles, I, I I just I love the cover. And it's a simple cover, but it just to me it just carries a lot of weight to it. Well, the other aspect of this, you know, you're talking about what side you're going to look at it. You know, what perspective? If you really think about it, look at the domes on this. Yeah. Some religious part to it. It looks yep. like could be a church. It could be something else, steeples and things like that. Mm-hmm. It doesn't look like fucking Trump Tower. No. In New York City. You nope. know what I mean? It yeah. doesn't look like a Sheridan down in uh, Boylston Street. No. It, it looks like, wow, like, like, you know, like the 40s movie stars were living here and things like that. And this imagery. Mm-hmm. And it's that mystique that works in the seventies. Absolutely right. Where people actually cared about, let's make a fucking album cover that portrays this, or, uh, you know, let's do this and let's do a banana. Let's put four <laughs> of us in a bathtub. Let's do this. Or let's wear ladies makeup and just and fucking put four square faces on 
that look like chicks. Are you talking about kiss or poison? <laughs> Either or. <laughs> or motley or yeah. that too. Yeah. 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 So let's get into the music. Ready to begin? I think we've all heard this song. Here it goes. Hotel California, first single, first song, actually, was not the first single. We all have heard this song, whether you're a fan or not. You've gone through the FM satellite radio over the years. You've heard it hundreds of times. It depends on whether you've listened to the whole thing or not. Anytime it's on, I'll listen to it. Is it my favorite song on the album? No, but the licks, the the beginning, if you catch it with Felder's intro, that you know what they'll say is kind of a spanish reggae sound pulls you in i've always liked the ending just felder and walsh going at it um felder who's you know the more technically proficient performer and then you got walsh who's just the typical rock sloppy guitarist going at it and for those that have seen the documentary the part where Walsh, my my favorite part, one of the favorite parts of the documentary is when Walsh was talking about going, oh, yeah, you're going to play this? Well, let me give you this. And they're just going back and forth and watching them perform it live uh, had to be just a great experience for anyone in the audience that night uh, or anytime they saw them live. The lyrics, um, you know, kind of what we talked about just a few moments ago. 
you can look at it different ways. You know, it's the you know, the journey, knowing how the album progresses. It's someone that's heading in, and the smell of Kalita's again lured in. And you know, at the end of the song, are you checking out? Are you able to get out? Um, it's what you want to want it to be. Uh, for our first song, I was surprised looking back on, wow, they put this at the beginning. Um, but then knowing that it wasn't the first single they released kind of made more sense. But it's uh, coming at you with both barrels firing right out of the gate. Yeah, for me, Hotel California, you know, the song is a classic. It's classic for a reason. It's stellar songwriting. I mean, it's impossible not to listen to this song no matter what kind of music you're into. Six minutes that completely flies by. I like the Latin influences in it for sure. Uh, the harmonies are incredible. Uh, I'll tell you that that rock tone that you start hearing in the guitar when the solo starts is what keeps me interested. And after listening to this whole album, if there's no Felder and Walsh, like Eagles are unlistenable to me. Like they're the guys that bring the part of the rock that at least interests me a bit. Otherwise, I wouldn't hear this stuff at all. This whole story with. <laughs> Henley, uh, Macon, Felder, call the housekeeper, figure out how you exactly did it on the demo. You will not divert from what I heard. Just kind of shows that it's not only this control that's needed, but it's even got to be listened to his way. The way you play the song has to be his way. Um, Lyrics-wise, I think it's great. I think, you know, stuff about uh, Henley's ex-girlfriend and the whole Tiffany Twisted thing, I think it's cool. I think it's cool to give, you know, Steely Dan a little bit of a shout-out and the lyrics that he's got going on. So, uh, all in all, it's one of the most classic songs in rock history. Is it my favorite song on the album? No, but it is a absolute classic song that, honestly, I don't always, I don't ever skip over. I listen to it all the way through the end, and I don't do that with very many six-and-a-half-minute songs, that's for sure. Yeah, the only other song I could kind of put in this category would be something like Stairway to Heaven, um, a, a song that you know every beat, every chord, every word. You know, they both have outro guitar solos. But you, but that being said, you don't skip it. There's a reason why songs like this are legendary and iconic and timeless. And every age group, every everybody who likes music in any way, shape, or form, is going to like this song. Now, granted, you're going to have a ton of people that say, I don't ever want to hear it again. It's beaten into the ground, like Stairway to Heaven. Okay, that's fine. I get you. But it's just, it's iconic. Uh, in 1998, it was voted the best guitar solo of all time by Guitarist Magazine, which I don't know if it's the greatest of all time, but I love it. I love the trade-off back and forth, the back and forth. Like Murph, you brought up when you watch that video of them just dueling it out in that competitive yet uh, band way I love I love visually seeing it and, and again that's why I'm pumped to see this in concert because I can't wait to see how this is going to translate I love it um, Sonny you brought up the thing about uh, Steely Dan I love that because in one of the all-time greatest Steely Dan deep cuts the song called Everything You Did Donald Fagan says turn up the eagles the neighbors are listening I love that and then you know he kind of throws in you know they stab it with their steely knives I love that but my favorite thing about this song that literally made me sit up as I was researching this album. Uh, nothing entertains me more as a fan of music than learning something that I never knew that blows me away. And I now have a totally different appreciation of the Eagles, of Glenn Fry, of Don Henley. And that is because Glenn Fry, in an interview, 
actually makes a reference to the book called The Magus. I know we are a, I know this is an audio thing right now. I am holding this book up because this is my all time favorite book. I've read it twice. I don't know any other person in the world other than my friend who turned me onto this that even knows that this book exists. So when Glenn Fry, when they talk about how he says, we take this guy and make him like a character in the Magus, where every time he walks through a door, there's a new version of reality. We wanted to write a song just like it was a movie. John Files wrote the book. The book is came out in the sixties. The movie's really old too. I've, when I saw that reference, I was like, holy shit. This is amazing to me as a fan of that book because it's not a book that you talk. Hey, you ever read the Magus? No, I don't know what that is. To hear that reference in the description, it just changed my whole mind listening to the song. And the lyrics like have a whole different kind of weight to it. So I've always loved the song, but learning that little fat toy just blew me away. Just great, great stuff there for, for a little nerdery inside music trivia. Just to uh, jump on that before I get into my stuff. Sure. It's also very similar to what they um, were talking about as visually in when you're listening and reading the lyrics and stuff, it's like they mentioned uh, the last tycoon, yep. Robert De Niro in the movie. There's a shot of him doing this. Then there's a shot of his feet. And then there's a shot of this. They wanted to constantly give you images of what you're seeing. And it's like a director telling you, you see this, then that, then this, and then this, and like that. And they talk about it that it's almost like a scene out of the Twilight Zone. Mm-hmm. You're just in a fucking area. They don't need to really, like, well, I don't understand it. It's not about understanding. It's, it's like they're just showing you different things, which makes you go back to what is the song's meaning? Is it about, is it a dream? Is it purgatory? That's what I used to always think it was. Yeah. And you're yep. caught in purgatory and you don't know. And that's why you can check out, but you'll never leave. So you can go through the motions in every time. Or it's, is it a dream? Or is it, as they some say, a bad trip you can't get out of? Who knows? But anyways, taking a step back on the album, uh, Hotel California is credited, written by Don Felder, Don Henley, Glenn Fry. That specific order, which when they do Hell Freezes Over, they flip it. Yep. And they credit that. And Felder's like, they're fucking dicks. They did that on purpose to me to fucking put me in my place. There's so much of this little fucking needling, but I love, I mean, I can't question the brilliance of Glenn Fry and Don Henley, but they're such fucking dicks. Glenn Fry is such a fucking bully mentality. There's so many aspects of him in history of the Eagles where you're like, dude, you realize what an asshole you come across as doesn't give a fuck. He's like boastful about what an asshole is. And Don Henley just, you're like, dude, you are such a pretentious fucking dick. <laughs> you think you are so important. And then you're like, but he's fucking brilliant. But you're like, you want to fucking hate these guys. Anyways, uh, the song was written by, uh, as I said, Henley, uh, Fry, and Felder first. Lead vocals, obviously Henley on this one. The solos are Felder and Walsh, and the percussion is Don Henley. So they give little aspects of every song on the album inside insert about each, rather than just saying, you know, bass, guitar, drums. They add stuff that are extra instruments, and they detail that. Hey, Zeus, uh, one of the things that jumped out to me was uh, 
early in the documentary, I know I've mentioned it a few times already and probably mentioned it throughout the this episode, how they had the problems with Glenn Johns, where he wanted to almost have kind of the minimalist approach. He only had mm-hmm. one at a few microphones. As soon as the song kicks into the drums, you could tell that Simzik had microphones everywhere around the drum set because just when that kicks in, that jumped out and, you know, listening to the album, trying to look at it from a different way than just, you know, simply just, you know, sitting on deck and, and taking the sound in, uh, that jumped out and having them talk about that, what they were looking for when they were looking for a new producer that immediately jumped out. Yeah. He was perfect for them. You know, he, he worked for them perfectly. Um, when they had the different type of band, maybe Glenn Johns was perfect for them too. He did bring out some good albums out of them, but, um, the uh, song was number one uh, on Billboard. It won a, won the Grammy for Record of the Year. So when when we're like, okay, uh, we're talking about songs that won Grammys. So this isn't Eat Your Heart Out. This is fucking Bang Bang You. <laughs> yeah. Hey 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 hey. This isn't uh, I Want Action. <laughs> This is a review of a band that won a Grammy. Yeah. <laughs> it won the Grammy for record of the year uh, over Look What the Cat Dragged In. So <laughs> it's ranked number one by uh, Rolling Stone, who has a huge rivalry with the Eagles, which you would think the Eagles are like a critics band. They are not. They are not well liked. And it has a little bit to do with when they first started playing New York. They started fucking fry, opened his big mouth up like, oh, you guys think you're hot shit. Where it's at is fucking California. And then all the critics and it's like, fuck these assholes. <laughs> and uh, yeah, they've been getting tortured by a lot of uh, Rolling Stone and the New York critics back then. It's 33 edits spliced together, which you can kind of tell, but they still hit it live. So it's not like they can't perform it live. And, you know, bear with me here a little bit here. The song has 50,000 different answers as to what it's about because they've changed it all the time. They put different things about the songs about materialism, excess with California as the backdrop, the dark underbelly of the American dream about a journey from innocence to experience. That's it. That's what Henley says on in the in the uh, documentary. Frank, the only thing uh, he was missing there was Milan de Mintz. I was just yeah. going to say that you just <laughs> yeah. stole that from me. Yeah. Yep. I'm not going to smell cars. I'm a busy man. Uh, Fry compares it to the Twilight Zone, where it doesn't make sense. Jumps from one scene to the next. I think it was purgatory, and that's where I believe. Anyways, the demo is famous because it was done by Felder when he was at his Malibu house on the beach. He played it, and he came up with this on his 12-string acoustic, and he came up with this little Spanish reggae. And actually, it was called Mexican reggae as when it was sent to them. So what he learned, Bernie Ledin, who was his buddy, told him when he joined the band, hey, if you want to get your shit in, put your stuff on demos and send it to Don and Glenn. That's how you'll get your stuff in. Now, when you watch the documentary, they fucking destroy Felder like Gene destroys Peter Chris. Yeah. Oh, yeah, he would send me stuff. They weren't even songs. They're just fucking, this, well, great. That sounds great. Where am I going to put the lyrics on this? Well, you put some lyrics on some pretty great songs on this album. So they're very dismissive of what Felder did. But they're like, oh, this one's interesting. Let's see what we can do. And then Henley fucking goes to town and comes up with these lyrics and Fry jumps in with a little bit. 
But this was exactly it. It was Felder's song. The fun part is, as Sonny mentioned, Henley's like, when they're doing the solo, no, 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 that's not it. It's like, well, that's, that's, I don't know. I don't remember what I played. He's like, no, no, no. You need to play what it was. And they're like, well, I don't fucking have that shit. That stuff's in Malibu. So he had to call his fucking housekeeper up and grab like all these fucking tapes and play them over the phone to, Fe- uh, to Felder until Felder goes, okay, that's the one. And then he had to relearn it like Tommy teaching Ace. Um, and he learned the solo all over again. Th- imagine being in a band with that fucking asshole, but yet he's right. Like, you know, you're like, fucking like you can't, what are you going to say? You can't go against him because he's fucking such a, like a musical genius. And you're like, fucking prick. Like, he must not have been fun to bend him with. The, I loved how through the whole documentary, he was either referred to as Don Felder or Mr. Felder. Mr. Felder seems it. to think. Uh, and then Fry's just such a prick. Ah, he would send us some shit on a tape. <laughs> oh, so he just sent you Hotel California. It's, it's not a sending two sides of the coin to Paul Stanley. No, it isn't. But Nothing could you is. imagine like, okay, well, Felder, you can either go find out what you exactly played so you can play it exact, or we could just not do it. Oh, so yeah. it's up to you. Yeah, exactly. You, or you don't get a song on the album. That's it. So let's get into actually um, the track, the legendary guitar intro. It gives you that chill. It's the same things like you kind of learn if it's guitar play. You can learn that. You can learn stay over to heaven. Ding, 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 ding. Like it's. It's beyond like what we talk about here. You know, it's just it's echoed in like American music. When you describe our country, you can talk about certain songs that are like famous. And that could be one of them. Uh, That legendary guitar info. There's so much little shit in the background going on. um, And that's all Felder. The different parts and the different guitar stuff and the little guitar accents here and there popping in. That was all him. He wrote that shit out. And what was brilliant about it is he wrote that shit out because he knows he has Joe Walsh. He knows his style. So he's like, I'll do this part. Joe will do this part. He'll jump in here. I'll jump in there. And that's fucking awesome that he can do that with somebody and not be like, fuck him. This is all my shit. He can play the piano on this song. But he wanted to share this with him. This is a good, really good headphone album. Oh. When you li- when you listen to this with earbuds or headphones, especially this particular song, there is so much going on musically. Get the little guitar flourishes that are happening, it's it's fantastic. Yeah. And then drums. Boom, boom, boom. And then oh, yeah, that comes in. Um, everything is painting a picture. Images. It's, it's like you feel like you're in a dream, the afterlife. You don't know. But you're listening to the lyrics continuously go. And if you look at the lyrics, and I'm not going to do it now, but like imagine just reading the lyrics out. Like mo- most Americans know parts of this song. The lyrics mean something. They've heard it before. You've heard it so many fucking times. Um, I actually love the drums on this, so I'm surprised he does a good job on them, singing it live and doing the drums on this. And he likes to play the drums still live doing this song. He doesn't come out in front like other songs. Uh, he still likes to do that. The guitar fills, the harmonies are fucking incredible. There's images, a lot of pretty, pretty boys she calls friends. Yep. And this is another fun part. We all know this lyric. We haven't had that spirit here since 1969. 
Now, before that, he talks about getting his wine. Oh, this this is great. Now, wine isn't a spirit. Yeah, but I never I I I never interpreted the word spirit at, to referring to alcohol like that dumbass interviewer did when he called him out on it. It's exactly it. We haven't had that spirit here since 1969. Yep. And they're talking about maybe a forgotten time of peace, love, and prosperity. Now we're in the darkened time of the 70s and all sorts of so all of a sudden now you're back to like, well, now what are they talking about? And it gets you like they're like two steps ahead. It's kind of like Gene when he wrote Almost Human. Like, what does he really mean? Oh, he was two steps ahead. <laughs> yeah. Come on now. He's almost a human. He's almost human. Can't help feeling strange. Yeah. Uh, and then the Felder guitar fills uh, after, you know, they're loving it up at the hotel. Cal. And then you hear. That's I like all stuff. that. It's incredible. Yep. Uh, and then back to the beginning guitar and it slows down again. And Don's voice and then the drums just can't kill the beast. All that stuff. Uh, back to, you know, the guitars in the background, lots of shit happening. And then the famous, you can check out anytime you like, but you can never leave. I, I That stuff still gives me chills. And then the legendary solo. The dual, the image of the dual guitar, him in the fucking, the what do you call it, uh, shirt that he's got on, the suspenders. Oh, yeah. Uh, Joe Walsh and the bandana making those fucking ridiculous faces. Those, 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 those guitar faces. Yep. Oh, my God. And them two going back and forth and then doing, your Tom, your favorite pick slide. Yep. And then the other guy does. And then both of them hit the harmonies. They're going back and forth. And then they hit the harmony part on that solo. For me, it's. On my Mount Rushmore top three, top four solo of all time. It's on my Mount Rushmore of guitar solos, and it still gives me a chill. As Sonny said, you know, even Led Zeppelin's Stairway to Heaven, there's parts that I like want to skip ahead, but when they get to that end and that fucking guitar solo, Jimmy, never imagined ever that I would always skip over that. Yep. You still play it, it moves you. And a guitar solo doesn't have to be fucking Ingve. Shit. Doesn't have to be Vinny guitar solo from Boys Are Gonna Rock. It's this shit. Mm-hmm. The harmonies, the holding the note, the 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 feeling you get when you listen to this. And it's just if you can tell, I like the song. <laughs> yep. Or if you had something. Yeah, the one of the things from the uh the video. Uh, or from the documentary nowadays everyone's got the presentation the attire you think of what paul stanley's worn over the years in that video joe walsh is wearing a university of illinois sweatshirt and glenn fry's wearing university of colorado it's like you know, yep. 15 dollar sweatshirt they're outperforming and now everything it's all about the presentation and you know back then it was just about playing the music and having a good time yep. and the, the fun part about the band is if you read enough about them you learn about the fucking the little cliques that had formed. Henley at that time hated Walsh. He believed in you perform. We're up here to play music. We're not here to do kiss like shit. Fucking shoot rockets up and and Joe would do like stupid faces. He'd talk. He would do the duck walk doing when they would do a Chuck Berry song. And it used to piss Henley off. So they were all like, fuck him and stuff. So there's a lot of interesting stuff going on because then if you look, 
Glenn Fry's just strumming his guitar. And if you look, is that Randy Meisner in the corner for two seconds on camera? Just like sitting there, like he's like half asleep. Complete like chaos in this band, inside and out, like turmoil and everything. Yet they fucking drill this song fucking tomorrow. Oh. Awesome. Yeah, thank God nobody was taking Walsh seriously because this whole thing about put firecrackers in a closet and yeah. light them up like they would have got sued 85 times over, but obviously nobody's listening. <laughs> he, that Washington, D.C. concert, it's on History of the Eagles, if you buy it. The whole yeah. concert is on afterwards at the end. He is so fucking out of his mind. <laughs> it's awesome. It's awesome. Well, we got the big one out of the way, but... uh. You know, there's not too many albums we're going to review where there are two number one songs in a row. But let's go to the next one. Everybody's watching you Kid in Town, first single off the album, second song. So listening to this song, uh, you know, trying to be mindful of how the album review crew has uh, presented the the albums over the the last year plus. I was trying to keep in mind the Eagles have talked about this being a concept album. So you got the Hotel California, and I'm listening to it going, okay, you can check out any time you'd like, but you can never leave. And now, New Kid in Town, I was almost listening to it here and going, all right, so how did it all begin? And, you know, so if you listen to the lyrics, you can hear it from the love side. Also, there's the lyrics that talk about the, you know, you're the up-and-coming band. Everybody wants to meet you. You know, how are you going to top what you've done? But at the end of the day, when I played this song over the years, it's just, you know, it gets back to it's a safe song. It's, you know, just, it's kind of back to their earlier days. You're hearing Glenn, you know, this would be something where I think Bernie Ledden would be on. It's a big drop off from a sound standpoint after the first, first song on the album, but listening to the lyrics, it, it pulls you in. Everything looks new and there's optimism by the end of the song. It, there's not, but I, I was, I just found it that I was kind of chilled out and, kind of want to keep rocking after that first song so good song but as the album progressed um didn't know if i wanted to be that mellowed out right away yeah new kid in town 
you know, you'd think after a song like Hotel California, something would fall flat. It doesn't matter what it is. It's not going to hold up. I don't think New Kid in Town falls flat. I like it, too. I think I would have been happier if Life in the Fast Lane was a second song because then they would have came and kicked your ass after this masterpiece, which I think uh, sets it to a new place. I'm honestly a sucker for songs that you know are predicting about someday love will end or fame will end because those songs usually like chronicle a lot of anxieties and stuff like that. They usually connects with me, right? You throw in a great melody, you know, and you got a great singer singing it, and then you got a good song. And I think in the end, uh, at least every once in a while, people are wondering if they're good enough. And if you're really good at something, it's hard to stay there, right? It's hard to stay at the top. Uh, all right. All that shit came off a little serious, but I, I, I didn't mean all that shit. Uh, I meant it all. I didn't mean it to be serious. Uh, it's a good song. Um, like I said, I, I wish it was not second because here's where if you want to get a rocker like me, and of course, they're not thinking about this in 1976. If it's 2006, you want to get a rocker like me after that masterpiece you just put out, you better give me a reason to keep listening and not just like uh, Murph said, mellow me out too much right out of the gate. Because if I'm not in a mellow mood, I switch off after this, right? But uh, all that being said, it's a good song. Yeah, I don't have a problem with the with the order of the tracks. I kind of like when a song does that, when it comes out of the gate guns blazing, and then it kind of brings you down a little bit, kind of telling you a story a little bit about what's going on. You know, you in, you introduce to the title track, and then you come down a little bit here. Um, I love this song, and, and I think the reason why, and again, I, I learned a lot about myself as an Eagles fan and how maybe if I gave them a chance earlier on, I could have been a bigger Eagles fan because this song right here, if you have Donald Fagan singing this song, this is a Steely Dan song. This could have easily fit into like the Asia gaucho era, the, the, the near the end where they got, when they got very, very mellow people, you know, use the term yacht rock, the, the organs, the keyboards, um, the, the lyrically speaking, the melodies, the, the bridge into that, into that chorus. I think it's a brilliantly written and arranged song. And I, I think I love Glenn Fry's vocals. I think it's a nice change of pace from Don Henley's kind of raspy rocker with the intro there. And you, you come into this mellow song with Glenn Fry's vocals, which carry a, a totally different weight when he sings. Um, but I, I think it's a good song. And I, I, I just, I find myself laughing as i was listening to this and i'm like i like this song and i think 25 year old tom would have been like this song fucking blows but like now 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 just i don't know i just i I just have a different appreciation for what the eagles can do and this is one of those songs well um we'll get into a a track in the future of this album review that i'm going to mention uh i'm going to come back to but glenn fry does say later on there's a reason why I stopped singing as many songs that was done on purpose. Mm-hmm. So he's got one song on this fucking album. Yep. He's got one solo song on the last album. Glenn Fry on his own can write this song, sing this song. And it's a number one hit. You have take it to the limit. Randy Miser, number one hit. Don Henley's number one hit three different fucking guys saying number one hits. I mean, I mean, it's not like Joe Walsh couldn't sing a top 40 hit, too. Um, he has. So that's insane. And I remember talking about when Glenn Fry died. He died around the same time Prince had died. And he also died when uh, he died around the time Merle Haggard died. And I was thinking to myself, like, RB, country, and rock 
three of the biggest legends of all time in their field just died. And Glenn Fry dying is probably the biggest of the three. And you're like, what the fuck are you talking about? How many more albums has he sold than all? I mean, Prince has sold like over 100 million albums, I believe. This guy sold more and he's been a part of it. And he wasn't, he wasn't Joe Walsh. He wasn't Don Felder. He wasn't Randy Miser. He was instrumental in them selling all that stuff. He is, he in himself can write number one songs. He himself could sing a number one hit. And when you think of the Eagles, you don't really think at all. You know, Glenn Fry, he's got a beautiful voice. But then you're like, Jesus Christ, his voice is, this is one of those surprising songs like, wow. Glenn Fry's got a great voice mm-hmm. and you don't think anything of it. He's not somebody like, Oh, think of the best uh, vocalists of uh, the seventies, eighties and nineties. No saying Glenn Fry, but then yep. you're like, Holy shit. He's pretty good. And he was, I mean, he, like he said, he's like, well, that was done on purpose. We have Don Henley in the band. What do you fucking expect? I'm not going to sing as many. He put his ego aside and said like, fucking have him sing more songs. They're yep. better songs. It's for the best part of the band. And since these guys started fucking hating each other right now, they still could put their egos aside, which I think Paul and Gene do, and put what's best for the band. And they agree on that shit. And Tom is shaking his head no. But I, no, but, I think there's still stuff that they put the band put their best foot forward for the band. I know lately, okay. I know I don't want to get too off on a track uh, off the track, but I know lately Paul just, they do what Paul wants, but I think that he realized we got Don Henley and I'm not going to sing, but getting back to this specific track, uh, number one song, it was written by JD Souther, who, if you follow the Eagles and know he's one of the best songwriters, anything he contributes to the Eagles is fucking incredible. He, um, was supposed to be in the band and they're like, yeah, he just doesn't fit. I don't, I don't think we need him when they only had four members. Uh, he's one of the guys that's tied up on the Desperado back cover, dead on the ground on that concept album. But J.D. Souther is got is incredible writers, written so many great songs. Well, anyways, he's one of the writers with Henley and Fry. This song sounds like it could have been left off the Desperado album because mm-hmm. of the concept album, you know, set back in the day in the West to the Cowboys new kid in town and once i saw who the songwriter was for i'm like okay that absolutely makes sense and fits the sound of that particular album yeah it could have been on the debut right after peaceful easy feeling and right after train leaves here this morning if you put this on there you wouldn't know any different you'd say okay that fits obviously lead vocals glenn fry guitar own which is those big Mexican sombrero guitars you hold sideways. <laughs> yep. yep. <laughs> Randy Meisner plays that. Electric guitars, Don Felder only on this. And electric piano and organ is Joe Walsh. Anyways, uh, number one Billboard song. It won the Grammy for best vocal arrangement of two or more voices. Is that even a category anymore? That sounds completely made up just to give this song an award. That's exactly what it is. And Hall of Notes wasn't winning anything yet. So that's why they won it. I think Kiss won it for Eat Your Heart Out later. (laughs) They did. Shout It Out Loud was nominated, but they lost. Yeah. They lost. It lost to I. This song was ranked number five by Rolling Stone as the best Eagles song. 
it, those overlapping harmonies is probably the reason why the it won the Grammys. There's a yeah. lot of that shit yeah. going on. I, I'm like you, Murph. There's that musician part first, and the second part is about a relationship. Ooh, who the fuck is this guy coming in? And they love you for now, but you know what? The pressure of staying on top. And some said that JD supposedly wrote this about Bruce Springsteen being the new kid in town. He denied it, though. And then, you know, as I mentioned, you realize that Glenn's a great singer, but unfortunately stuck in a band with Don Henley and Randy Meisner. The song has grown on me over the years. The backing vocals are great. The solo is fine. And I love the line. And these, and I will repeat lines every once in a while on these songs. They will never forget you till somebody new comes along. And I just love these fucking words. And I feel like it's about podcasts. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's right. always a new podcast in town, right, Tom? Always, Kiss yeah. ones especially. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's that's what New Kid in Town is written about. Let's do a song about Kiss podcasts in the <laughs> two thousand like eighteen to twenty two, sometime <laughs> in between there. The outro is pretty cool. The you know, there's a new kid in town. The band keeps repeating that, and then he sings over that. I don't want to hear it. I, I just love that stuff. They're mixing up back and forth within the band overall i like the song it's grown on me over the years but it's definitely not one of my favorites on this album wow all right yeah so let's go to the fast lane in the fast lane it's interesting how many songs over the years come to uh reality based on someone's warming up and a sound is picked up by one of the folks in the room this song here uh the other one uh allegedly is uh, sweet child of mine that slash was you know just mm-hmm. doing the what is the the intro working out just stretching the fingers so learning I think how that happened on Gene when he did Wild the City Sleep. <laughs> uh, so you know the, the the sound, the intro, it like a lot of the songs on this album, you know what it is right away by the the opening note. Starts fast, continues to be fast. Uh, you know, following the the idea, if you're believing the the concept album, the new kid in town is now living 
the, the high life, the fast life uh, in over their head. And uh, the, the song is definitely uh, an upbeat over the last one. And uh, you know, even the, the sound with uh, Henley, as great as his voice is, it sounds a little distorted. I don't know if there's just more background throughout the, 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 the song that just gives you that a lot's going on and it, it's kind of almost in some way overwhelming you. But it's uh, definitely a rebound off off the last song. I, I would say that this um, is not my favorite album uh, on, on the or favorite song on the album, but fits in well with what they're trying to regress uh, as the album evolves. Don Henley with that. Are you with me so far? I, I like love that. that. Did I he love really that? Just say, are you with me so far? I had not picked that up before. Until the other day, I've heard the song many, many, many times, but for some reason, I hadn't heard that. I have that written as a Sonny earworm. Yeah. Sonny will love that shit. Um, so this intro riff and the, just the riff in general. So I tried it. If you slow it down about a third, so about 33%, dude, you got a disco beat. This is basically a disco beat sped up. And this is, so I started thinking, I'm like, this is the reason these guys are selling. Millions and millions and millions of albums. There's something that catches a disco ear. You got the guy who's singing a little bit rougher than he normally does catch the rock guys. You got a cool riff that's also going to catch the rock guys. You've got the country feel for it already. You put some earworms in, you get the top 40 people. Like there's, there's something for everybody. There's no doubt about that. Then I started thinking, while these guys are riding life in the fast lane, Kiss is fucking clutching breasts in great expectations. Like, how far off could you possibly be on the two bands? Mm-hmm. Right? It's just, <laughs> yep. it's uh, it's amazing when you think about it. And like Murph was saying, I love those stories about, right, where I'm just trying to do something in rehearsal or whatever. It's like, oh, hey, whoa, what's that? What's that? What's that? Do that again? Do that again? And then you connect it with some story a few days later. They're you know, some some crazy, I think it was his drug dealer driving like crazy down the freeway. And he's like, oh, what are you doing? It's like, oh, life in the fast lane. It's like, oh, I got something. I got something, you know. And it's amazing those stories that you hear afterwards about how some of this stuff comes together. Because to me, it makes you feel like anybody can do it. Like that kind of stuff happens to anybody all day, right? So it's like, oh, so... If I step through this door, I'm going to invent something that makes me as, you know, as rich as the shoelace guy. Like, you know, you just don't know. Right. So, uh, but I, I love the song. It's a great song. Sonny, to that point, just how he, in the documentary, Glenn Fry just so casually says, I'm, I'm in the car with the drug dealer on the way to a poker game. Going <laughs> yeah, like everybody. yeah, like it's everybody like, else does. Everybody do that. Yeah. <laughs> and he, yeah. and we're holding and he's switching lanes. He's going about 90. And I say, hey, man, what are you doing? And he says, life in the fast lane. And then he writes it in his Gene Simmons books of song titles. Yes. Because he seems to do that a lot. Yeah, that's te- Tequila Sunrise. Ooh, I want to remember that one. Oh, uh, you can't <laughs> fool those lion eyes. And he writes that down. Like, all these thoughts of these great lines. But he can actually make a song out of it. He just doesn't take like murder in high heels and just throws fucking everything in the kitchen sink in the song because he likes the title. He's really brilliant with that stuff. And then Henley comes in and just fucking cleans up all that shit. So 
You're right, Murph. All right. So life in the fast lane. This is when the Eagles are again showing their their variety as a band. So you had you had Hotel California, then you had the very mellow new kid in town. Now you get the Eagles doing their like their Skinnered, their Southern rock. And Sonny, you hit it on what I was going to say. This song, when I hear this song, I picture a classic 70s country western like honky tonk bar. Everybody dancing, because if you're going to dance in a country western bar, you're not going to dance to disco or dance music. You're going to dance to disco dance music that's disguised as a country rock tune like like Skinner used to do. I love Skinner, one of my favorite bands. And when I hear this song, that riff, the rhythm, Henley's vocals. Again, this is another song I mentioned earlier, a headphone type song. There is so much going on in the background, the little noodling and the guitars. I think it's great. I love the effects, those vocal effects, like that phaser or whatever they're doing near the end with the life in the fast lane, the the the, the chorus and the harmonies. I think it's great. Um, it's a creative song. It's It's famous and it's a hit for a reason. It's one of those songs. Do I ever need to hear it again? Maybe not, because it's this is one of those songs I was referencing back at the beginning of the episode when we were talking about our history with the Eagles. You, you've heard the song endlessly for fifty years, uh, but that doesn't change the fact that it's a it's a great tune. Life in the Fast Lane, written by Joe Walsh, Don Henley, Glenn Fry. Lead vocals is Henley. Lead guitar is Walsh on this one, and the clavinet is Glenn Fry. You need the clavinet player, of course. Uh, this reached number 11 on Billboard. It's considered number eight. Greatest Eagle song by Rolling Stone. I'm just surprised uh, Fry doesn't sing this. You know, he came up with the clever title mm-hmm. and I figured he only sings one other song. But, you know, obviously, who's who's to say anything, complain about it? And apparently they called that drug dealer the Count because well, yeah. his Count was always wrong. Your drug dealer, drug dealer doesn't have a nickname? <laughs> of course he does. That guitar riff in the beginning. Oh, just, yeah. And then I put the part about the, are you with me so far as Sonny written all over it. Uh, The guitar fills are all over the place. Lines. They became such a huge Coke band nonstop. And then I like this other little part that they put into the song. Everything all the time, you know, terminally pretty. You know, I love both that line. Good, both good in bed, up and down this highway. Haven't seen a goddamn thing. Like it's just there's so many classic lines. The solo is pretty cool. Then there's that bass groove and a nice outro guitar. Um, another one where I could probably quote the lines on this a million times. Um, but overall, awesome song. And now let's uh, let's get soulful. Street. 
This is this is in my sweet spot, Sonny. Uh, I am just I, you've made reference to it. I am a sucker for the the breakup song, the reflecting song. Um, although it was not meant with any uh, ill intent uh, in college, uh, one of our friends used to say, "Oh, Murph's going to uh, listen to his pillow hugging music right now." <laughs> oh yeah, this is one of them. And uh, wasted time. This this was a song that I stumbled upon, I think probably junior year in college. Uh, the lyrics, uh, you know, just as it fits into the album, "New Kid in Town," everything's new, everything's beautiful, life in the fast lane. You're in over your head now. All of a sudden, it's like you're looking back and things are falling apart. You're reflecting. Um, I just think it's a it's just a great song, great lyrics. Uh, you know, a little little syrupy. But uh, it, it really kind of sets where from Henley. I, I loved his later music on the end of the Innocence, uh, New York Minute, Last Worthless Evening, and I look mm-hmm. at this as one of those songs that kind of laid that foundation back then in '76. Okay, so wasted time. All right, there's no doubt Henley can sing the phone book. He's the best singer out of these collective guys. But this song is fucking brutal. Just oh. brutal. Oh. Like the the six and a half minutes in Hotel California flew by. This four minutes and 55 seconds felt like an eternity. This song is, oh my God. After I got li- done listening to the song, I'm like, all right. What was that song? Forgiveness, forgiveness. Like, let me go listen to some <laughs> real if, Don Henley. Even yeah, if. Yeah. I love those songs. This song's, I don't. It's just too sappy. It's slow as fuck it is too mellow and it's too hard to listen to i i, I tried i really tried <laughs> and i swear to god i heard 20 minutes of music but i only listened to the song twice like I, oh my god baruto there's the fight i'm surprised it took us that long to get the sunny baruto <laughs> god all right well i'm gonna jump in here and uh i'm, I'm gonna just completely 100 disagree with sunny here This is, to me, when the album gets really interesting, okay? Because the album kicks off with three mega hits. Two out of three mega hits, one mild hit with New Kid in Town, whatever, big hit. This is, to me, when the album really shifts gears into something really extraordinary and very different. Did you know this song? Did not. Never heard it. What? Never heard it. Birth didn't sing this to you? Oh, he did. But when you that's, started that's, dating Bridget in college. That's private. Murph, Murph would hug his pillow and say, hey, this has all been wasted time. No, I Tommy would say, groom you, Tom, for years. <laughs> I've wasted my time on you. 
Tommy would tell me to sing this into the pillow. <laughs> exactly. Uh, look, I'm a sucker for singer songwriter type of music. I said earlier, I love stuff. I love Billy Joel and Elton John when they play the piano and it's a very melancholy, moody song with not a lot going on. I, I, I love Henley's voice, but I picture I picture either one of them doing this song, the melody, the arrangement, any song that has a slow build that kind of gives you that swell with like a string arrangement. I'm some a sucker. It's over. I, 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 I'm a, I'm a big baby when it comes to that and the harmonies it's, and, and one of the other things I love about this is when a song title is used multiple different ways in a song, he starts off by saying, afraid it's all been wasted time. Then he's worrying about this wasted time. And then at the end, he says, someday we'll find it wasn't really wasted time. He's using that title three different ways as the story progresses. I just think it's a beautiful song. I'm a big fan of it. Big fan of it. Again, it's not the kind of song you're going to put on be like, yeah, let's listen to wasted time. I'm having a bunch of people over. It's just, a, it's a great song. It's a, it's a really beautifully written song. Wasted time written by Don Henley and Glenn Fry. Lead vocals, Don Henley. Piano is Glenn Fry. Organ is Joe Walsh. Guitar is Felder. On Wasted Time, it was ranked 25th best Eagle song by Rolling Stones. Supposedly, this is them because they fell in love with Philly Soul at the time, trying to do that. And Glenn says, Don was our Teddy Pendergrass. And we can't say Teddy Pendergrass without saying what? You got, you got, you got what I need. Love Teddy. <laughs> Teddy. Um, the lyrics are Don's breakup with his girlfriend, Lori Rodkin, some jewelry, fancy jewelry lady, something like that. The piano cutting in, then cuts out, then Don's voice. I'm not even going to the lyrics yet. And they're not, <laughs> but they're not immune to the Scorpions, Bon Jovi, you're back out on the streets. Oh, yeah. One of these streets that people are walking. <laughs> the wild boys on the street. Wild in the streets. <laughs> I hate that expression. I hate that. Got jumped um, by some street toughs. Yeah. <laughs> or the boys are back in town. Oh, they are. Oh. <laughs> um, now. The music's outstanding. The guitar is like almost weeping. Yep. Uh, it's such a soulful song. There are parts that the lyrics of this song are so fucking cutting that, you know, his girlfriend hearing this must have been like, holy. Like, imagine being as brilliant as a writer as Don Henley and have that voice and singing a song and being like, and being this woman on one of the greatest albums of all time, being like, I have to fucking listen to this song the rest of my fucking life. <laughs> he sings, and I'm like, that's so cutting. You can't hold your man. Oh, Oof. what? That is just, you want, that's a top five thing to say to a woman if you want to piss her off. <laughs> can't hold it, man. Yeah. Or kind of like when Ace is like, well, why are you so uptight? Yeah. <laughs> yeah good luck with that. Um, just his voice 
and you dream about tomorrow and then it oh it just it, come on there's not too many people who could do that with that um and then you know the other part the other lyric i really like is so you take a little something to make them go away yep i love how the music again in the middle of the song stops and it's just dawn and the piano again and then the vocal then again backs up and then the band comes in again and then you got the Ooh, all that stuff's going on. Sometimes to keep it together, you got to leave it alone. Now, I think that expression has come up gazillion times later with a hold on loosely, <laughs> but don't let go. <laughs> Remember that song? 38 special, baby. Oh, great. It's, I don't know, Sonny, uh, you know, if you don't have the... If it doesn't hit you, it doesn't hit you. Sometimes I don't care how fucking brilliant someone can say something is. If you don't feel it, you don't feel it. I get it. It's it, and you could simply say it's sappy in the sense, but he's not singing. I love you like uh, the guy on the stairs on uh, Animal House, right? It, it's gives not his just, love a, it gives his love a cherry <laughs> that had no stone. <laughs> it's this is him singing about heartache. About a relationship and the stuff that this woman is in him and stuff. Now, I, I don't. For me, it, it's brilliant. The music, the vocals, the lyrics. Can't say enough about it. I, I, I've loved it. It was so good that they decided to bring it back again. Let's go to the next thing. So is this kind of a reflection back to the days where if it was a long movie, you'd have the intermission when this song is playing? Is this when you're supposed to either fill up your lover's glass of wine if you're you know, in the boudoir or <laughs> go take a leak or take a shit real fast? The girlfriend goes, I'll be back. I got this butter and this popcorn. I got to take a shit. You're not doing the popcorn trick again, are you? You know, I, I, I did look to see where this fell on the actual album when it was released and seeing that it was the start to the second side. It's like, mm-hmm. okay, you know, is it just carrying you over? 
I, I really didn't understand how it fit in, whether it was something where, you know, it was just, just, just more of Don wanted it in or someone in the band and said, we're going to squeeze this in there and we only have eight songs. So this will count as a ninth and that's it. Didn't really understand why they had that in there based on everything else on the album. Yeah. This surprise thing. Come on. You just wasted my time (laughs) (laughs) with four minutes and 55 seconds. That felt like a lifetime. You need to do it for another fucking what? 82 seconds. Like it's a beautiful piece. I get it. Sell this shit to the Disney movies. Live with you got eight songs. You didn't have a ninth and move on with the world. I, I didn't need any more wasted time. That's for damn sure. <laughs> I, lo- I love I love angry poony during oh the album God. review crew. I got happy last night because uh, Zeus texted, okay, so who's taking wasted years? I'm like, oh, whoa, whoa, wait, did I listen wasted to Wasted years? Oh, We're doing Iron Maiden again? I, yeah, Maiden. <laughs> All right, look, I'm going to be on another island here. I'm going to uh, is 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 the reprise necessary? No, it's not, but it's here. And I'm going to tell you right now, I fucking love listening to it. I love it. I think I, look, I'm a sucker for this kind of stuff. Is it, am I going to go out of my way and be like, "Oh, I, I can't wait to hear the reprise from wasted time." <laughs> no. But I love it. It's beautifully arranged. And one of my favorite parts about this little piece is how there's a portion of the string section that is mimicking Henley's vocals. I think that's brilliant. I love it. I love it. Big fan. Wasted Time Reprise. Written by Don Henley, Glenn Fry, Jim Ed Norman. String arranged and conducted by Jim Ed Norman. I think they're friend- he's friends of the band. I will say this. You guys are forgetting one important part. This is a common thing done on concept albums. Yep. If you read, if you go to Desperado, they bring Doolin Dalton and Desperado back or as a reprise. Other concept albums. How many times? I remember when I got The Wall. Like, dude, how many fucking The Wall songs are there? Where's the one that part that goes, we don't need to get? Yeah. I was skipping going, which one is it? It's just, it keeps coming back. The theme. It's like a movie. But I'm with Tom. It's a beautiful piece of music. It's I can listen to it. I think it's great. I think it would make an awesome score in a movie. But yeah, I, I, yeah. I get your point. But if you're listening to this album, you're already in that mood. So to me, it's not like um, maybe it wouldn't work, Sonny, if you're like got music on your on your phone and you're at the house and you just got everything on shuffle. And you just heard a Judas Priest song. You heard this. You, you and then all of a sudden the fucking reprise from Wasted Time comes <laughs> on. I get it, but to me it fits this album perfectly, and, it, and the music is beautiful. They worked beautiful. it really. Lola, everything came out beautiful. <laughs> they worked it really well into the documentary. Mm. Yep, yep. Good call, Murph. All right, so let's. Let's uh, send Don Felder off to lunch and play the next track. Should be home, but 
So getting ready for this episode, this was the song I was most interested in hearing everyone talk about. Zeus, you already made a reference to it. You know, is there ever going to be an episode where you, you have another guest and you're going to reach out to me and say, hey, can you uh, take Tommy out for a couple of drinks and a burger while I, I record with Sonny and you know do, do an ARC review without him knowing? I mean, just the, the story of how this song came to be. It, it it's incredible, which uh, I, I know we'll get to, but the song itself, uh, the, the lyrics, um, whereas Wasted Time was kind of nostalgic and reflective and, and had emotion to it, this just is just someone that's pissed off and, and really sticking it to uh, to their lover or someone that they wanted to be with and are on the outs with. Um, and the lyrics, so the lyric of you say he's a liar and he put out your fire. How come you still got his gun in your hand? I looked up this song. This album came out six months before love gun. Yeah. Did Paul take this and say, Ooh, I like that. Can I work with that? Probably. So uh, victim of love. Just, I, I, I love the song. I love Henley. I love the sound, the guitars, everything about it uh just overall a, a great way in my my view of kicking off the second side you know taking away the the reprise i love henley saying victim of love had no title no lyrics no oh. melody <laughs> we let mr Felder felder sing it many times he did and none of the takes were up to standard like uh, wow dude you <laughs> talk about curmudgeon <laughs> Oh, yeah. <laughs> Mr. <laughs> Felder. <laughs> yeah, Mr. Felder. Um, okay. I love the groove. It plods along, but it works. Love the slide solo by done by Walsh. This whole thing about they promised me two songs. I should have sang it. Finding out at dinner is kind of shitty, right? This is breaking up with a girlfriend in a public place, so there's no scene. <laughs> Basically, that's what's going on there, right? But what's interesting, and I didn't put really two and two together until I was kind of prepping for this. I saw Felder two months ago. He opened for Sammy Hagar. Mm -hmm. Wow. Okay. He didn't do Victim of Love. Mm -hmm. So all the bitching about, I didn't get to sing it, they promised it to me, blah, blah, blah. Then why didn't you do it when you're out there with your solo guys? I I don't understand. Now, all, what's also interesting is, and maybe I don't read a lot of Felder stuff, but it doesn't seem like Felder takes too many shots at Glenn and Don, but God damn, is Henley and Fry always taking shots at this dude? Maybe it's deserving, maybe it's not. You know, the the documentary was probably a little more Paul Jean, right, saying their thing, and like Peter doesn't get to say his kind of thing, even though he was there, because he seemed very complimentary of what was going on instead of kind of Still taking is. shots at him, but... Not doing it live after all this crap and showing people here. This is what it would have sounded like if I did the vocal. And yeah, Henley's one of the best singers, but I would have sounded good too. Shows me that either he's come to terms with it or he can't sing the song. Yeah, victim of love. Uh, I love the riff. It, it, it's the Eagles trying to make another rock song, you know, because they're coming off wasted time. The real melancholy kind of love song there. Um, I, I love it's a it's simple. It plods along to me. I the this is where I kind of have a problem with the chorus. I think the chorus is kind of like eh, like it's 
it, I don't know. It, it's a little bit kind of stale because I kind of like the way the song plods along. I like the way the riff kind of has a little reverb to it. And it's like, that. like, it's just very, very basic, surprising for the Eagles, a basic tune. Um, I like it. And it's funny as I was listening to this album and I've commented on a couple songs already like this, I, I'm hearing other bands or other things here. And I'm like, this song would have been fucking great if you threw it on a kiss album and had Peter sing it, this could have been, cause I can picture like that slide solo. I could picture the solo. I could picture ACE taking that solo and doing something with it. I'm like, this came out in 76. So love gum came out in 77. You throw victim of love on there, get rid of. It, and then she kissed me. Now you got a perfect album and you got two songs from Peter Chris, but that's my kiss spin on it. But that being said, I think it's a cool song. I, I, I like Henley's vocals. Uh, and the, the lyrics make the song kind of cool too. I like Ace. Ace can't do Don Felder. Oh, no, no. I know that. Of course not. Of course he can't. <laughs> and he, I don't think he can do Joe Walsh, to be honest with you. Uh, I, let, let, you, you again, you're shitting on Ace's ability to play. Come on. No. I, I, I don't think he's as a, a better guitarist than Joe Walsh. I just don't. But that's all right. He's still a great guitarist. And we're not part of the Ace cult and never will be. So, nope. Regardless, Victim of Love, that is written by Don Felder. Uh, J.D. Souther, of course, Don Henley, Glenn Fry. Lead vocals, Henley, slide guitars, Walsh, lead guitars, Felder. Now, <laughs> we can't, without talking about the, the whole process of how this thing worked. Don Felder felt he was promised that he would have a song or two on this album. He sang Visions, his only contribution to an Eagles uh, record on the previous album, one of these nights. So he expected to have something. So the story was they they tried it a couple times. He couldn't do it. So (laughs) Irving Azoff, their manager, was job was to take him out to lunch. And they let Don come in and sing the songs. Now, this is the only track that they sang live. They did. They performed live on the album. And because they performed this thing live on the album, I guess they would do this running fucking joke on the album itself where they would put messages on the album. And on one of them, it says uh, VOL is five piece live, meaning that they perform this live except for the vocals, which Henley put on afterwards. And if you see the doc, basically, Fry, uh, I mean, Felder's just like, yeah, you know, it's Don. He performed it. You know, what am I going to do? He's right. He's not going to sit there and say that. But (laughs) my favorite part of the documentary talking about that is. Don Don Henley says Don Felder demanding to sing this song was the equivalent of me demanding to play guitar on Hotel California. <laughs> what a fucking dick. They're such what bitches, a fucking, man. Oh. A fucking dick. It's about as ridiculous as me to me. But anyways, the um there was no overdubs. I mean, obviously the Eagles are known for their studio overdubs and all the harmonies and shit doing over again, but this is the one they didn't get to do it. You know, Felder was although he came into the band by their third, actually a member on the fourth album, but he performed on the third album. He was a full member. This is part of the shit that I'm still always trying to find out about. That I love hearing about. It's the Peter, Gene, Ace and, and stuff. Who has shares? Is Eric Carr a share member? Is Vinnie Vincent ever got put in as a share? They put 
Felder in as a full member of the Eagles. So when everybody else left, it was the three of them. And so what all the turmoil is about by the time the second breakup, it was that he was saying like, dude, what the fuck is going on? I want to see the numbers. And he had the right to, because he was the only one. Joe Walsh is a hired gun. He does not, he gets paid very well. Same thing with Timothy V. Schmidt and everybody else now that's with the Eagles. They're all hired guns. They're the Eric Cars, Bruce Kulik's of the Eagles. He's not. And so when they did the reunion afterwards and they came back, they came to him and said, you want to be part of this? That's it. None of you guys have had a career since the Eagles broke up. Only me and him. And actually, Don could say only really me. Um, he goes, so here's how it's going to work. We're getting more money. You want to join? That's a fucking kind of a ballsy move, but they were honest about it and huh. fell to sign. But he, they still felt like he was, they were stealing money from him. So he asked to see the books. And then that was like, you, you might as well fucking slapped one of their kids in the face. So they, were, they got him the fuck out of there. Supposedly, he made like $50 million on the settlement, and he still gets a small percentage. To him, he's not in the fucking band. He doesn't have to deal with the shit. Because everybody that leaves their band leaves because they can't take it from those two assholes. And that's why Randy quits after this. He's like, I can't fucking be with them. And that's why before that, Ledin drops a beer on his head and it's like, I'm out. And think about the money they gave up to fucking be like done with these assholes. Regardless, um, Victim of Love is that opening riff. I fucking love it. It's heavy. It's a slow, heavy song. It reminds me of time, anything like that from uh, Pink Floyd, anything like that. Just you're like, this is a slow song, but it's heavy. The guitar, the crunch. If you picked it up, that that guitar, it's an ACDC type riff. Bam, oh, yeah. Bam, bam. Yep. Like it, it, it could work like that. Don wrote this about someone cheating on him. If you read, he fucking shits on that fucking person pretty badly. Oh, you're the victim of love. Oh, yeah. Okay. Playing like, and, and he's just mocking them throughout. And, you know, he's like, as Murph described, <laughs> but you're fucking hanging out with all these guys and you got his gun in your hand. So he's got his shit in there. The drums on this are great. This line in the song that I love, and it's one of those earworm parts again. Don says, I could be wrong, but I'm not. I love that line. That's I such a that, that is such a it, great I line. He gets so like pumped up about it because that's Don Henley. You can totally picture him being like, "Well, the polite thing could say, well, I could be wrong, but, but I'm not. not." Yep. Fucking condescending know-it-all Don Henley. That fucking line is awesome. I love it. And I love the the, the slide guitar solo on that, like the woo woo in the background. Uh, when Don's singing, what kind of love have you got? Yeah, woo, woo. Uh, so much shit going on in this song. Oh, yeah. Another brilliant song. Uh, I, I, again, uh, a, a big favorite of mine in the background story of Cindy Felder to go get lunch while we have Henley re record the song. That's and then such a, come, that like, such a daring him to come back and be like, no, I should sing over him. <laughs> yeah. Nope. All right. Let's give Joe Walsh a try. Hi there. How are you? 
Okay, so quick reference uh, to any of the New England followers. It's hard to give a honest review to a song when it starts off with like a W E E I call. Oh, you stole the my song. Name. The song starts, "Hi there, how are you?" Or <laughs> as callers for sports radio in Boston would get over the years, "Hi there, how are you?" Um, hey, how are you? The Eddie Andelman intro. Uh, 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 Carla, I happen to know Joe O'Donnell. <laughs> the This was a song that made me realize that you could have the best lyrics in the world, but if you don't have the right person singing it, 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 it kills it. Um, I mean, I, I don't think anyone on this uh, call right now is a fan of Dylan, but I think we all know that Bob Dylan has written a lot of great songs over the years and given it to other artists when they've been performed and they've been you know, done very well, both commercially and critically. But when you hear Bob Dylan sing, I mean, he's an SNL spoof in himself. And that's listening to this. Uh, it, it's just hard to get past Walsh's voice. Uh, the lyrics, uh, I think, are great. It's it's a lot like some of the other songs that we have on here. Wasted time. It's reflective. It's heartfelt. Um, and if anyone else sang this song, I, I think it would probably end up being higher on my list. But it's not just because of, unfortunately, just Joe Sound. I love that. Demurt just say it'd be higher on my list, but it's not. <laughs> I could be wrong, but I'm not. I'm not. <laughs> All right. So this uh, Mr. Clown Prince of Rock or whatever he wants to be, uh, Joe is not exactly a crooner. There's no doubt about that. Uh, I will tell you, hearing Joe talk in that documentary, dude, that documentary was three hours and 53 minutes. Have Joe shut up. It's two hours. That guy is talking so slow. And I'm sure it's a combination You're used to of it. alcohol and ah. whatever. Right? But... Yeah, it's uh, that boy's struggling. Let's put let's put it that way. This song is really bad, really, really bad. The vocal, forget about that. The vocal is meh. The melody is boring. I don't understand why anybody listens to any Joe Walsh song. Any Joe Walsh song I've heard my entire life, I've hated. You don't right? like so Rocky Mountain Way? Joe. No, hate it. Absolutely hate it. Life of illusion or what I hate it. Don't like life's it. been good. No, no, thanks. Life's been good. If you're not Joe Walsh, <laughs> yeah. ordinary yeah. average guy. I don't even know what that is. Ordinary average yeah. guy. That's all I needed to hear. <laughs> Just Dude, Joe Walsh I've been working on my Joe Walsh impression. Oh my Wait till you hear it. 
vocally, Joe Walsh does absolutely nothing for me. Like, like I said before, if it's not for Joe Walsh, I probably don't even listen to this album because of the guitar playing. I do not need to hear him sing. And I remember feeling that about Ace when I first heard Ace sing. But for some reason, I got used to Ace. And I think part of it was during Fraley's comment and all that, his voice uh, smoothed out a little bit. It got worse and worse and worse as time went on. But between Fraley's comment and probably Trouble Walking is about the bang zone of his voice that I like. Just nothing Joe's ever done intrigues me. That's just all there is to it. In the city? No. You know I it? know what song you're talking about. No, okay. thanks. All right. So <sighs> this song, I, I, I can't, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to be on, I'm, I'm going to be a little bit different from Murph and Sonny. I fucking love this song. I, 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 I it, and it's, it, I'm surprised by it. And again, I think I like this song because of my love of Steely Dan. I love the painfully slow pace of this song in my favorite part of this song. So when all the music cuts out and you're just hearing that painfully slow beat with just the boom, the snare, boom, the bass. I love it. Joe's voice isn't great, but he does enough, especially when he's singing softly. I'm a big fan of the song. I, I think it's a, I think it's a unique song. You don't hear songs that are this slow, and I think this is where the album gets interesting. I don't know. It, this 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 song just stuck with me. Pretty Maids All in a Row, written by Joe Walsh and Joe Vitale. Now that's the drummer that comes in and helps out sometimes when Don would sing, and that was another reason why those guys had problems because Henley was thinking that he's trying to get replaced by having him come in. Uh, lead vocal Joe Walsh, piano Joe Walsh, synthesizer Joe Walsh, and Glenn Fry. Number 38 by Rolling Stone on Best Eagles Song. Bob Dylan says it's one of his favorite songs of all time. Tells you he says he you calls it know. brilliant. There you go. He calls it brilliant. The slow build. Joe gets a slow, emotional song for his debut on an Eagles album? That kind of throws me off. Yeah. But he also says it's a kind of a melancholy reflection of my life so far it's about loss now supposedly his daughter passed away around that time so i don't know if that makes sense it's a lot of reflection going on why do we give up our hearts to the past why must we grow up so fast the guitar fills a sharp bluesy slide guitar by joe walsh um yeah he is his voice it grows i mean he's got some great songs i i like a lot of his stuff uh, I I find his voice unique. Mm-hmm. That's why I like it. Mm-hmm. Like I said, ordinary average guy, and <laughs> any time a band is fighting <laughs> on the stage, that's like whoa. He's oh, ace. Oh yeah, dude. He he is so fun to imitate. He's all fucking fucked up looking, making weird faces and shit. Yep. We got John Henry in the band. <laughs> like you're thinking, did he have a stroke? Like, <laughs> yeah, just might have. With him? yeah, doesn't that what he sounds yeah. like? Do you think? Holy uh, shit, man! Do you think he had to pay the bill for that hotel damage that they talked about, where him and Belushi destroyed a Chicago hotel room? Oh yeah, 20, and 20, you like 000. how Henley thinks. Like he thinks he's like tough. He's like, oh, that was creative. We loved when he would do that. We bought him this. 
during that time, he fucking hated that shit. Yeah. <laughs> he, he was definitely like, this shit is getting old. Right. He, but now he's like, Oh yeah, I love, I love him. It's all to make Felder look like such an asshole because they all seem to get along except for the ones that aren't in the band anymore. <laughs> right. So anyways, I like the song. I think it's a, you, I guess you would, I would say you, you have to like slow building type music and songs. It, does it work? It works. I think it's a beautiful song uh, and I'm surprised he did it, but yeah, I like it. Now let's go to the fourth singer on this album. Randy Meisner, who I feel is, uh, you know, in the history of the Eagles is just not received enough credit. I know he had the first number one song with Take It to the Limit, but what he has brought over the years to Take It Easy, uh, songs on Desperado, and this song, I I love his voice. And Mm -hmm. I think that this particular song, it was at this point, probably the second time coming through the album getting ready for this i i realized how much of a reflective album this is concept what have you um and you think of hotel california victim of love there's a lot of just heartfelt emotion that goes into this and this, this song here is just about someone that's gonna try to get up and and go out there and and you know, has been hurt and go out there and try to do it again. And his voice and the, the lyrics uh, really surprised me. I was not aware of how deep this song goes. And whereas uh, just on the last song, in, in my opinion, someone like Walsh, can his, his sound can ruin a song. I think Meisner picks up this song. And if they f- switched on these two songs, I probably have, you know, have an opinion that would you know just say Meisner can pick up a song and Walsh can actually bring down a song with his voice but this this was the surprise of the album for me 
try and love again. It's amazing to me that Randy being this great singer that he is, that he's the third best singer probably in this band right at this time. And that's, it's kind of cause I prefer uh, Glenn's voice more uh, to be honest. Now, now today I would put it Henley Schmidt and Glenn, if, if Glenn was still living, but uh, Randy to me, he's a great singer. The song has a great melody you know, watching the documentary and kind of reading some things, I can understand, you know, why maybe Meisner didn't want to do take it to the limit every night. Right. It's like, if I'm not feeling it, you want me to go out there and sing it anyway. Now, whether, you know, whether you want to call that stage fright, which I wouldn't blame him for, because you got Don and Glenn in the band that are going to kill it every night. And then you go up there and the only song anybody wants you to sing has got to be sang perfectly. And you got to do it in a key that nobody can do it in (laughs) and a place that nobody can do it in. Right. So these guys are asking me to do something every night that they obviously cannot do themselves. And if I'm not feeling it, I got to do it anyway. Right. So, you know, whether it's he wanted to spend time with his family or he's got stage fright or, you know, he was sick of Glenn and Don, whatever that might be, I can totally understand him kind of walking and going, all right, guys, if this is what it's going to be every night, like I, I can't do this. Um, like I said, the melody's good and Randy's a great singer. And I really want to like this song but it still drags it, This is just not the Eagles that I can listen to. I need it to be a little bit peppier. I need it to be a little bit, you know, more in the beats per minute category. And, uh, this one's more tolerable than some of the other ones. And, and I listened to it a, a few times and I'm like, I don't think it's Randy's voice. This in the way I think it's the pace of the song. All right. So I'll, I'll be a little different kind of flip it from the previous song with Joe Walsh. I, I don't like Randy's voice on this. I think that's the song itself. I think is beautifully written. I think it has a, a great melody. I think lyrically, it's a beautiful song. The harmonies. I, I, I think it's a really well put together song. His voice. I, I, I just, I'm not a huge fan of it. It was kind of striking. I, I think Joe's voice is so unique that I was like, well, this is kind of interesting. I think Randy's voice is, it's very Southern rock. It reminded me of something like the band or like something like, you know, like when you listen to like, like something like the pure Prairie league or like Marshall Tucker, or like a real Southern country rootsy, which isn't bad. It's, it's not bad. Those are great bands, but I think the song is great. I'm just not a huge fan of his, his vocal tone. Um, but it's, it's a beautifully crafted song. Great melody, great, uh, harmonies it's it, it's a good song yeah go listen to midnight flyer on previous stuff you want to hear his voice and stuff okay. he's got that high pitch vocal performance he can do so try and love again was written by randy meisner lead vocal randy meisner lead guitar is glenn fry on this and the gresh guitar is joe walsh now number 23 song best song by rolling stone for the eagles meisner was going through a divorce at the time if that helps Love the guitar in the beginning. Ding, 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 ding. Oh, I love that shit. And the acoustic guitar and then his bass line, you can hear it. And then you got Randy's beautiful voice. It's sad. It's reflective. It's nostalgic. The harmonies are incredible. Should I stay or go? I really want to know. So uh, uh, the Clash did that song in 1982. So if you're wondering <laughs> who did that first. I love the guitar solo. And when he sings, when the sun comes up tomorrow, the choruses are awesome on this. The outro harmonies of the, ooh, and Randy Whalen, gonna try, gonna try, gonna try. I, I love, 
I love Randy Miser. He is one, probably my second favorite member of the band. He is such a nice guy. He got the shit kicked out of him in that band. Go read Don Felder's book. All he talks about is like, dude, you know, like Felder stood up for himself. Everybody stood like Meisner was originally one of the first, you know, he was one of them should have been one of the leaders. He was just a nice guy. He was a family man. I guess he was like married when he was really young and had kids already. He was just getting abused. Just put your like a, a very like kind of laid back, easy going, nice guy. Hey, you know, everyone calm down between fucking Henley and Fry. It was just insane. And uh, unfortunately, he just had enough and he quit right after this. He was just done. And now I think the most recent news was that he had stories with his wife was accusing him of abusing him with a gun and threatening him. And then the next thing you know, his wife shoots her brains out and is dead. So uh, how he didn't get arrested for that, I don't know. I think he's got a conservatorship right now on him. Like he's not all there. Wow. Um, he was a very good looking guy when he was young. And uh, if you see him now, holy fucking <laughs> crypt keeper. Um, it's not a very pretty picture. And it, go find out some of his. Uh, so I sent something to Murph, right? I sent you the video of him when he was a solo act when um, he was on that show Fridays. Familiar Kiss fans. Uh, he's got a great song called Hearts of Fire. And uh, in the video and even his performance on that, he's got a fucking like leisure fucking Lacoste suit on. <laughs> it is so bad. And guess who introduces him for the show on Fridays? Murph? Michael Richard. Yeah. AKA Kramer. And wow. he calls him Richard Meisner. Oh, that's nice. Oh, yeah. But uh, I, I love his voice. I uh, This was always my, uh, like, deep cut that always stood out for me because it's always that, I don't know, it's just something in the nostalgia in his voice, the looking back aspect of it. And you're always like, who's this guy? He doesn't sing as much when you're starting to get into the Eagles. Uh, but I love Randy Meisner's voice. He sang a lot of the songs in the beginning. And then he got kind of slowly faded out. And as far as singing um, uh, Take It to the Limit, yeah, that high note was incredible. So he started getting a little bit stage fright as time went on. Like, I'm not going to hit it. I'm not going to hit it. And then he's like, you better fucking hit it. And watch the video. And, like, Fry does not care how much of a prick he comes across. He's just like, well, you fucking better do it, you fucking pussy. You're <laughs> giving him shit about it. And the guy's like, ah, I'm out of here. Oh, it was just oh, incredible shit. Anyways, let's go to Don's Opus to end this. Just as her father came, the 
across the sea. She heard about a place people were smiling. They spoke about the red man's way, how they. So before actually listening to the lyrics closely, heard this song, Last Resort, last song on the album, heard it a few times over the years, um, always let it played, like Don's voice, you know, song didn't jump out, just, you know, wasn't something I was going to turn off either. But listening to the lyrics, um, knowing that the last review that was done was for Poison. <laughs> This this is the equivalent of Poison doing Give Me Something to Believe In. <laughs> this is, what the hell are you doing? You're preaching. Are we trying to learn that, Don, you were an English major. You've been influenced by Thoreau. Um, and you're just trying to shove all this down to us, this history lesson of you know, what the, the white man has done and how we've desecrated the land. I, I just, I like the song before this review. And now I'm just turned off because I just feel like it's it's just too preachy. And uh, I, I think this might be a skipper for me going forward, to be honest with you. Wow. All right. So Henley's opus, as Zeus mentioned, um, my take might surprise you. So, I saw this interview, so I wanted to read a little part of it. Uh, in this interview, Henley says, The Last Resort is still one of my favorite songs. That's because I care more about the environment than about writing songs about drugs or love affairs or excesses of any kind. The gist of the song was that we find something good. We destroy it by our presence, by the very fact that man is the only animal on earth that is capable of destroying his own environment. The environment is the reason I got into politics to try to do something about what I saw as the complete destruction of most of the resources that we have left. We have mortgaged our future for gain and greed. To all that, I say, Don Henley, fuck you. Because I hate these fucking songs about the world became worse and it's all our own damn fault, blah, blah, blah. Did I fucking get enough of that shit on the news? I don't need it in my music. And to top that off with the song lasted fucking forever, the album just absolutely ended with a thud. This song, I, I said bad things about wasted time. This could be one of the worst songs ever written, possibly. 
but it's still not the worst song on this album. Sonny, Sonny, I don't know if if this got any play growing up in your area. This song album came out seventy six, seventy seven. We already had the environmental commercial. Give a hoot, don't pollute. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Much <laughs> That's better. It. Much better. Yeah. <laughs> wow, this is this is great. I'm on an island again. Uh, lyrically, I'll start lyrically. It is the most heavy handed, settle down lyrical lyrical composition ever made i'm not going to say it's not thoughtful and it's not well written but i don't want to hear it and you need to settle the fuck down don henley now i'm going to put the lyrics over here the rest of the song is absolutely fucking magnificent it is it is the song it is exactly what i love in an emotional Epic closer. We did it with Metallica Load, The Outlaw Torn. Best song on the album, it's the last song. Super Unknown by Soundgarden, Like Suicide. Last song, best song on the album. Last Resort, last song, best song on the album. It is, I love these songs. I said it earlier, I am a sucker for a slow build, sweeping, epic, emotional song that takes off. And when that song, when, when, when Henley sings, the hazy sun sinking in the sea. And then those strings come in and start to swell. Then the song kind of almost shuts itself down. And then at the end, when he just starts, when, the, when you get the background harmonies and says, and you can see them on Sunday morning, again, I'm, I'm trying to stay away from the lyrics because the lyrics are kind of annoying, but the, the arrangement of the song, I'm just a sucker for those kinds of emotionally swelling, like just songs like that. I just love them. And I think this is an absolute home run lyrics aside i get where you guys are coming from it's a little exhausting listening to them but the song itself as a as a whole is a, a fantastic all right the last resort was written by don henley and glenn fry lead vocals don henley synthesizer joe walsh don henley pedal steel guitar don felder number 27 best song by rolling stone for the eagles this isn't cheesy cherokee by europe okay this is well thought out fucking written shit. You guys have problems with the lyrics. Maybe I don't because I'm liberal and I'm and I like this environmental yeah, shit. It's not it's not a political but thing. But if it but if you like that stuff and believe in that stuff, you don't find this stuff hokey. And this didn't come out on fucking as AOC's theme song for her re-election. This song came out in 76. So to me, it it I think it's heartfelt. Because he's backed it up over the years with this yes. Walden Wood stuff. So it's not bullshit that he's writing this stuff. And it's not corny. It's not like he believes this shit. He really does. Uh, you don't have to like it, but he's one of those guys that uses this as his platform. He wants to use his musicianship to promote something he believes in. Fuck it. I don't care. You know what I like about it? It's in our backyard, Walden Woods. We all grew up right around that area. Um, so it was big that he came around here and started doing stuff. Plus, it got me one of my favorite albums of all time in the 90s, the Common Thread album, which was how the Eagles came back when all the country artists hot at the time in the 90s did Eagle songs and made that that uh, tribute album for Walden Woods. And then that's how they actually came back when Travis Tritt Brad brought them all back for the video for Take It Easy. That album kicks 
fucking ass. I love it. Anyway, so I believe those. I believe in these lyrics. I think the lyrics are are genuine. You, you know, you're talking about the Great Divide, which I still always have to look up and be like, okay, what is that? And, they, and it's like that continental divide, basically all the way from Alaska. But I'm like, oh, so they go all the way to Florida? No, no, no. It cuts through like Nevada and all that shit all the way down in Mexico and all that. It's interesting shit. It manifest destiny. We all know about that. We all learned about that shit about going west. The only part that I'm like, eh, is the the one the one in Rhode Island. Oh, okay, that Providence. Okay, <laughs> um, but the lyrics are incredible to me, and they move, and it works. Don calls it. I was trying to go all missioner, who's like some American author. I've never read his work, but he's uh, he writes about fictional family sagas with like geographical locales and detailed history. And um, Don says that's why he was trying to do it, basically come across with that. Still one of his favorite songs. Glenn says, for the first time, Don took it upon himself to write an epic story and started worrying about the environment. The other great part about the story of this song is they were trying to record it in the studio and they they got interrupted several times because in the next studio over, Black Sabbath was recording Technical Ecstasy. And was too fucking loud. So it was going through the wall. So they had to stop and start several times to record the song. Um, just the piano and Dawn's voice opening up this track. How fucking beautiful is that? I mean, it's just, mm-hmm. it's a gorgeous voice. It's a gorgeous little set of music. The song is constantly building. And I love that. And then it just got quiet. And it's just him. And just the piano. And you hear like this little bridge of a soft piano, almost like raindrops. Yep. Like I'm hearing right now outside my window. And you have like bird noises and like stuff that makes you, you can visualize this. You know, like seagulls or something. And you're thinking about all this stuff. It paints this picture of a Western expansion. History buffs know about all this shit. Going west, go west, young man, and all this other fucking shit. And then his voice goes down so long. You can leave it all. And the way his voice comes down so softly, and it just builds and builds. And in the lyrics, and I'll get to them a little bit later, but the background, as you hear in the background by Love the it. band, Love it. fucking incredible. And, and and it ends with the part that it is kind of true. You call someplace paradise, kiss it goodbye. We're, we're going to fucking fuck up everything that we actually love. It's a kind of a pessimistic way of looking at things. But I don't think Don Henley is what you would call a very happy-go-lucky man. Oh, no. Um, the song has always, for me, grown and grown in stature. I remember when I just thought this was incredible. What is this song? Then all of a sudden you start hearing it on the radio. All of a sudden they started putting it in their concerts again. I'm looking forward to hearing this live again. Me too. It's a gorgeous song and it's a gorgeous way to end this album. If you think of where we started in Hotel California and all this stuff, it just builds and builds and builds. And you're ending on this like, fuck, holy shit. An album now. I think me and Tom can get into these lyrics and stuff in the album opening and closing because we're grunge guys. We get it. An album can build the mood. That mood doesn't have to be, oh, it's fucking chicks and booze all day. We can have those fun albums. But we can also have something that makes you think. We can also have something that fucking gets you, uh, I don't know, 
melancholy, you know, somber. This fucking closer is fan fucking tastic. Mm-hmm. Now, that's my last thing on the last song here. And before this becomes a four-hour episode, let's wrap Wait. up and <laughs> Murph. Why don't you lead us off? Just give us a quick synopsis. An all-timer. Um, even though some of the songs are, are, you know, songs I'm not a big fan of. If someone throws this album on at a gathering, yeah, they've got my attention. Uh, I, I think that you cannot talk about the history of rock and roll or the 70s without talking about the Eagles. Um, I saw something recently. You know, we also talked about Fleetwood Mac, where Fleetwood Mac, the 75 album, was kind of the launch for Rumors. I think one of these nights was kind of the launch for Hotel California. It had to be incredible in 76, where if you became a fan of this album, then to have the Eagles' greatest hits. I mean, just you you mentioned at the beginning, it was just an incredible time of music for rock and roll. And, you know, this is one of the key albums that defines that whole era. And uh, I thank you for uh, thinking of me and inviting me for this because it allowed me to go deep into uh to this album in, in a way that i haven't for a long time sunny uh, the documentary was excellent um i i hadn't watched it yet and so when we were going to do this album i'm like all right let me watch the documentary i thought it was great this album you know it's a good hybrid of country folk rock it's got excellent harmonies but i gotta tell you after listening to the full album several times now and i'll say this first I don't like Jackson Brown, Joni Mitchell, Graham Parsons, Steely Dan. I hate concept albums. I don't like The Wall. I don't like Marshall Tucker. I don't like Pure Prairie League. I don't like Leonard Skinner. And I don't like the Eagles any more than I did. There's four songs I'll listen to because they're good. Five I'll never listen to again. And that's just, I can't get into these guys. That's just who I am and the music I listen to. It's not good, bad, or indifferent. doesn't say these guys aren't talented. And Henley and Fry deserve all the accolades they get. just ain't for me. Yeah, I mean, uh, look, I, I was—I n- said it earlier. I was never a big fan of the Eagles. Um, I don't go out of my way to listen to them. But the one thing I will say is, um, I'm glad that Zeus picked this album because my favorite songs on the album are the songs I never heard. And I'm glad that I was introduced to this stuff. Like, I, like I, I showed you guys before. I bought the vinyl. I don't buy the vinyl for everything because vinyl's not cheap. I wanted to have this for my collection. Um, it, it, it's interesting because it's not the kind of album that you're going to put on all the time because it is a, it's a somber album. It's not very upbeat. You know, it's got a couple of upbeat songs, but the most of the album, particularly the second half of the album, is very, very, very you know, kind of down tune, down kind of mood. Um, but that being said, I, I, I enjoyed it thoroughly. I had a, I had a good time listening to it, taking notes on it, researching it, and getting into it. And uh, I'm, I'm a, I'm a fan. Uh, I really like this album. Okay, cool. You guys know where I stand on this. Let's go and rank the tracks. Here we go. So let's go Murph, Sonny Tom, and then me. Okay. Start with track number nine, The Reprise. Yeah, number nine for me was The Clown Prince. Pretty Maids was number nine for me. Ooh, worse than the reprise. <laughs> worse than the reprise. The reprise ain't even number eight. Oh, 
this is one of those albums where it was very difficult for me to rank because I like everything on it, including the reprise. But by default, I put reprise last just because it's an instrumental. I love everything. And when we finally do songs and things like that, you'll see where I have my number nine. And that's the reprise. Number eight, Pretty Maids all in a row. Uh, Number eight for me, The Last Resort. Dude, it's reprise is better. It's shorter. Brutal. Uh, number eight, try to love again. Uh, number eight for me, new kid in town. And I love the song. Number seven, last resort. Oh my Lord. Uh, number seven for me, because it wasted 295 seconds of my time is wasted time. (laughs) Number seven, victim of love. Number seven for me. Pretty Maids all in a row. Number six, Life in the Fast Lane. Ooh, wow. Uh, number six for me was Reprise. Number six, New Kid in Town. Wow. New uh, Number six for me, Life in the Fast Lane. Number five, New Kid in Town. Uh, number five for me was Try and Love Again. Number five, Life in the Fast Lane. Number five for me, Try and Love Again. Number four, Hotel California. Ooh, all right. The first, I love that. All right. Uh, Number four for me was uh, New Kid in Town. Number four, Wasted Time. Number four for me is Wasted Time. Number three for me. Wasted time. Wow. All right. Uh, number three for me was Victim of Love. I actually really like that song. Number three was Pretty Maids All in a Row. Wow. Number three for me, Victim of Love. Number two, Victim of Love. Uh, number two for me was Hotel California. That was also my number two, Hotel California. Uh, number two for me is Last Resort. Number one, Try and Love Again. Uh, number one for me was Life in the Fast Lane. Rockin'. Number one for me, Last Resort. <laughs> and the fourth different number one, Hotel California. Wow. Oh, yeah. We had four different number ones. Interesting. All right. Yeah, the uh, the averages, I think, are going to be all over the place on this one. Oh, yeah. Okay. So we had a tie for third. Okay. So the tie for third was... Last Resort, Wasted Time, and Life in the Fast Lane. The clear number two was Victim of Love. The clear number one was Hotel California. Okay. All right. Sweet. Now let's go to album covers. Woohoo! Murph, do you got these? I do. So, Murph, since you've never done yours. So, for album covers, my top ten. Number one. Appetite for Destruction. Number two, Pyromania. Number three, Blizzard of Oz. Number four, Hotel California. Number five, Highway to Hell. Number six, Peace of Mind. Number seven, Slide It In. Number eight, Mechanical Resonance. Number nine, Super Unknown. Number 10, Look at What the Cat Dragged In. Oh, no, number (laughs) 10. Well, and for some of these albums, it's, you know, what I remember, the impression yeah. it made, like Blizzard of Oz, 
I think I've listened to it twice in my life, but the that album, yeah. it's kind of like Dynasty, terrified me as a kid. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, Sonny, what do you got? Okay, so my rankings so far have been from one to last. Peace of Mind, Slide It In, Once Bitten, Blizzard of Oz, Pyromania, Appetite, Highway to Hell, Mechanical Resonance, Hailstorm, Bon Jovi, Detonator, Singles, Winger, Super Unknown, Jar of Flies, Odyssey, OU812, Look What the Cat Dragged In, and Load. Hotel California is not going to beat Eddie, and I'm sorry. It's not going uh, to beat Snakes and Titties, but it can beat everything else, so I got it at number three. Whoa! Yeah, because that, wow. that is a pretty cool picture that wow. you can take many, many ways. And that chick on Once Bitten, she's she's pretty and everything, but you know, yeah. she's no hotel from a cherry picker. That's a good point. That's a good point. All right, so my covers, uh, I got Blizzard of Oz, Highway to Hell, Peace of Mind, Appetite for Destruction, Pyromania, Once Bitten, Mechanical Residence, Slide It In, Hailstorm, Look What the Cat Dragged In, Odyssey, Jar of Flies, Super Unknown, Singles, Bon Jovi, Winger, Load, OU812, Detonator. Um, I'm going to put Hotel California at number nine, right behind the snakes and titties. <laughs> this poor album cover keeps losing to snakes and titties. <laughs> <laughs> All right. For me, I have number one, Blizzard of Oz, then Appetite for Destruction, Peace of Mind, Slide It In, Highway to Hell, Pyromania, Jar of Flies, Once Bitten, Mechanical Resonance, Super Unknown, Singles, OU812, Bon Jovi, Hailstorm, Odyssey, Winger, Detonator, Look What the Cat Dragged In, and Load. I think we should have a bell anytime there's a new number one for either of us. Ooh. It's the most iconic for me, and that is Hotel California is the new number one above Blizzard of Oz. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Okay. All right. Now, let's go to album rankings. Murph, do you want to give them yours? Sure. So uh, just like in the album cover, the actual album itself, uh, Hotel California, I'm also going to put at number four. For me, my top ten would be the single soundtrack, Appetite for Destruction, Jar of Flies, Hotel California, Super Unknown, Mechanical Resonance, uh, Pyromania, OU812, Highway to Hell, and once again, Look what the cat dragged in. Oh, my God. Look what the cat dragged in making a top 10. <laughs> all right. All right. Go ahead, Sonny. All right. So my al- album's rankings as of today, before we put in Hotel California, from best to worst. Hailstorm, Slided In, Appetite, Mechanical Resonance, Once Bitten, Pyromania, Winger, Peace of Mind, Bon Jovi, Highway to Hell, OU812, Blizzard, Odyssey, Look What the Cat Dragged In, the single soundtrack, Detonator, Super Unknown, Jar of Flies, and Load. So this album had a similarity to the single soundtrack because I didn't own it, and I had never heard it all the way through. But I'll tell you, on the strength of the four songs that I absolutely like on this album, single soundtrack is still better. I got this thing at number 16. Damn. Okay. Good enough. Fair enough. Tom. So for me, I got Mechanical Resonance, Singles, Pyromania, Highway to Hell, Jar of Flies, Appetite for Destruction, Once Bitten, Odyssey, Hailstorm, Blizzard of Oz, Super Unknown, Load, Slide It In, Winger, Detonator, OU812, Bon Jovi, Peace of Mind, Look What the Cat Dragged In. This was a really tough ranking because everything else is hard rock and metal, and this is classic rock, classic soft rock, whatever you want to call it. 
Um, but that being said, I enjoyed it. Uh, but it loses again to the snakes and titties. It comes in at number 14 for me. So it jumps over winger. But again, this is a mood thing. So it's it's weird mixing. This is the first time we've mixed genres. So it's tough. It won't be the last time we mix genres, but I got Hotel California at 14. All right. So I've got number one, Blizzard of Oz, Pyromania, Appetite for Destruction, Highway to Hell, Mechanical Resonance, Singles, Shard of Flies, Bon Jovi, so uh, debut, Super Unknown, Slide It In, Once Bitten, Detonator, Peace of Mind, Load, Hailstorm debut, Odyssey, OU812, Look What the Cat Dragged In, and Winger debut. Let's ring that bell one more time. We have a new number one. Wow. It's probably not even close. Yeah. Uh, I figured that. And that's why I chose it. I went outside the genre because uh, I just, I love this album. And it's funny because it may not even be my favorite Eagles album. But yeah, it's uh, number one for me. Nice. Nice. Wow. Well, that wraps up this. The next pick, everybody, is a group pick. Oh, boy. Yeah. So should be something back into our wheelhouse. Yep. And uh, look forward to that coming out hopefully sometime in August. Yep. Now, what we do next is this. Murph, what's making you rock hard this week? <laughs> Please tell your family that you're busy right now because you have to tell three other guys what makes you rock hard. Emma Stone and Cruella. Oh, no. Did you really <laughs> see that movie? Is that what you're going to talk about? Yep. That's what <laughs> oh I, was, uh, I was last uh, last Sunday. I was in. Uh, we have driving. a Disney movie coming out. No, well, we hold on. Hold on. Uh, I went in with low expectations it, we were on vacation we went to a drive-in up in the uh, lakes region in new hampshire uh, the kids wanted to see this said fine you know i, I like emma stone from um super bad uh, i've seen her other couple movies this was a pleasant surprise because it was not the typical disney spin on the story it's set in the 70s and what really pulled me in was the soundtrack on the soundtrack throughout the movie, you had Queen, David Bowie, Deep Purple, The Doors, The Bee Gees, wow. Ike, Ike and Tina Turner doing covers of Zeppelin and The Beatles come together. It was definitely... Ike and Tina Turner did covers of Zeppelin? Yeah, and The Beatles. Damn. So the movie itself was okay. It was predictable, but the music that was infused into it definitely pulled me in i would actually watch it again um so pleasant surprise and if anyone is asked to do it i I think just with the music based on what we've talked about here and and the kind of just the breadth of what you gentlemen and i'm sure the listeners are uh exposed to and listen to definitely worth uh the 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 two hours nice sunny what do you got all right, so I went with a live concert film. 
Oh, yeah. So Prince, live at the Aladdin Las Vegas, it was released in 2003. So at this point in Prince's life, he's pissed off at everybody. So he's going to do stuff on the MPG Music Club. And this was one of those um, uh, things that they put out. It's filmed at the Aladdin Theater for the Performing Arts uh, on December 15, 2002. And this audio is directly pulled off the console. Okay, so there's no messing around with it. And there's 10 folks on stage. But he is doing mostly a deep, deep track set list. So he's got a few medleys in there. He's got songs like Pop Life, Money Don't Matter Tonight, The Work, One Plus One Plus One is Three, Take Me With You, Sometime It Snows in April, like he was all over the place. And then in the middle of it, he throws in a very interesting Prince-esque version of Whole Lot of Love. Ooh, awesome. <laughs> it's interesting. Um, like I said, 10 musicians on stage, probably most you haven't heard, probably the ones you've heard, Maceo Parker on sax, Eric Leeds on sax, and Sheila E. on percussion. Uh, but it, it is a great 80-minute watch, if you can find it. Prince live at the Atladin in Las Vegas. It is worth the six or seven bucks you'll pay for the DVD on eBay. Nice. Uh, with the COVID that comes with it. Yeah. <laughs> nice. So for me, so one of my other, you know, we talk rock and metal all the time, but one of my other genres of music that I don't get to talk about anywhere on any of these podcasts is jazz. Um, I grew up listening to jazz a lot, um, more than anything, jazz swing, big band stuff. Um, so, and I love documentaries, uh, you know, obviously the history thing, the history of the Eagles. I love documentaries. So Probably my favorite jazz musician is Miles Davis, the you know arguably the greatest trumpet player in the history of the world. Uh, part of the PBS American Masters series, uh, they is a two-hour documentary called Miles Davis: Birth of the Cool. You could see it on Netflix; it's streaming for free. For me, loving the history of jazz and Miles Davis, and seeing the story of where somebody was born, where they grew up, and how their career evolved. And the kind of person that he was, holy fuck. You don't have to be a history of jazz or a history of Miles Davis, but if you're a history of music and music history and learning documentaries, I, I can't recommend this enough. It is stunning. It's spectacular. Um, I will be honest with you. I had no idea that he was still releasing music late up until his death. I never knew that. Um it, it's fantastic. It's a, I'll probably watch it again. I watched it once. I'll probably watch it again and try to pay attention a little bit more details. Uh, but it's really, really fantastic. Miles Davis, Miles Davis, birth of the cool. You can get it on Netflix. It's really great stuff. I love it. All right. Booger <laughs> for me. Um, I'm really starting to try to get into using my Apple TV, which I got not the Apple channel, but the Apple TV. And go and see, I have Amazon, I have Netflix, I have Hulu. So something came up, and I, and it was probably because I had talked about The Crown. So one of the actors on The Crown that played Prince Philip, a guy named Tobias Menzies. Well, anyways, regardless, he is, it came up as like recommended because of him. And I thought I recognized these actresses. And it's a British TV series called This Way Up. It's a British comedy Half an hour show. It's two seasons. The second season just came out, and there's only six episodes. So there's 12 episodes, really. Okay. So you're talking about six hours. You can bang this out. I finished it. 
It's great. Uh, I assume a part three will come out. Season three will come out. Uh, it's written and stars some Irish actress named Aisling Bia. Um, I'm probably butchering that, but um, and she's got another Irish actor slash producer, Sharon Horgan. I've seen her in a million different things, and I can never like place where I've seen her. But they play sisters. The premise of the show: she gets out of a uh, mental facility she was in, and uh, she's just trying to get back to her life. Uh, the two sisters uh, are in England, obviously. And uh, she starts taking on a tutoring job of a kid that's uh, French who just got placed into a home because his mother died and he's got placed into his father's care and his father's in England and they don't know each other and he needs a tutor to teach him English and the kid's French. So he hires her and there's just all sorts of like black comedy shit that happens. I kind of like these kind of British Comedy drama shows uh, It's short, it's easy I watched it, went through it I liked it, I thought it was pretty cool um, And there's a lot of familiar Faces and actors that are In this show, there's one of the actresses I remembered from um, uh, Game of Thrones, there's another actor That I've seen in a million things But uh, take a look, see if you guys Like it, if you like British kind of Comedy dramas and stuff It's uh, pretty fun, so This cool. way up Cool Murph, where can people find you? Give them your address and your and uh, your cell phone number. Yeah, this is when we do plugs. <laughs> Guys, stop it. Stop following me. I want stop to be left it. alone. Stop, stop it. whining. Stop it. Put I'm on hotel, Cal- put on it, hotel it, California. <laughs> if you want to reach me, just reach out to one of the guys on this podcast. You got your own Twitter. He doesn't uh, want followers. That's true. He doesn't want I don't blame him. Poonie, where can people find you? So, first of all, Murph is being, uh, you know, he's not really sharing. So, his phone number is (laughs) 907-LOVE-TALK, and that is L-U-V. What's that, Arizona? Who the fuck is 907? (laughs) Um, I'm uh, I'm easy to find. Growing Up Rock is probably the easiest place. Uh, Growinguprock.com, or just hit me on Twitter or... uh, or Facebook, and plus we got Podcast Rock City every Sunday night at 5 p.m. Eastern, so uh, that's live on Facebook. Dude, you got to finish this for five hours and then go live again in a little bit? And I'm doing the game show. I'm the host. Oh, oh God. The family's going to hate you. Oh, man. Oh, they already oh, that- knew. They said, oh, you're talking to the girlfriends? Oh, that's five hours. Oh. No, they actually look forward to these days. They're like, oh, great. He'll be in that room for 10 hours. All right. So, yeah, shout it out loudcast. So if you're listening to us for the first time, uh, we are an all kiss podcast. We drop kiss related episodes every Saturday and then we do these non kiss album review crew episodes once a month. Uh, and the best place to reach us is our email. Shout it out loudcast at gmail.com. Shout it out loudcast at gmail.com. Email us your questions, comments, concerns, suggestions, whatever, all that good stuff. And then we're on all the social media, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Um, we're part of the Pantheon podcast network of shows, tons of great shows there. And we're on all the big platforms. Uh, and you can send us DMS on all the social media too, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Uh, so reach out to us. Let us know what you think of the Eagles. Yes. And, uh, please give us one of those, uh, five star, star. child reviews on iTunes. You can also find us. On our send us a DM on Instagram, Facebook, 
Twitter. Make sure you follow and subscribe to our YouTube, YouTube. channel. And uh, don't forget those emails. Shout it out loudcast at gmail.com. Shout it out loudcast at gmail.com. And what we'd like to do next is come up with some famous last words, song lyrics. And first up is Murph. Okay. Right or wrong, what's done is done. It's only moments that you borrow. But the thoughts will linger on of the lady and her song when the sun comes up tomorrow. I'm singing the song, but go ahead. He had a nasty reputation as a cruel doof. <laughs> they said he was ruthless, said he was crude. They'd had one thing in common. They were good in bed. She said, faster, faster. The lights are turning red. Poetry by Poonie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all right. And all you wishing well fools with your fortunes, someone should send you a rose with love from a friend. Nice to hear from you again. In the storybook comes to a close. Ooh. Who will provide the grand design? What is yours and what is mine? Because there is no more new frontier. We have got to make it here. Satisfy our endless needs and justify our bloody deeds. In the name of destiny and in the name of God. Poetry. Oh. Now, Zeus. Love them. <laughs> exactly. Em. Murph, thank you. Tom, thank you. Sonny, thank you. Loudcasters, thank you. Kiss Army, thank you. Guys, thank you for the invite. This was certainly not wasted time. Ooh. Oh, my God. Always a good time. I know I was a little tough on the Eagles today. It's all opinion and jest. Guys, thank you, Murph. Pleasure having you join us here for uh, this. I know you're a big Eagles fan. Sonny, great time as always. Zeus, great pick. Thank you for picking it. I'm a big fan of the album now. Peace out, Girl Scout. That sounds like a job for the new head of RV surgery. <laughs> Wait, are you promoting me? Congrats, Martinez. Doctor, that RV's 
flatlining. Well, that sounds like a job for the new head of nursing. So you're just promoting everyone now? Yeah, kind of looks that way, doesn't it? When your RV really needs saving, Progressive has you covered. See if you could save with a leader in RV insurance. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates covered subject to policy terms. At the Home Depot, we're dedicated to helping you build the skills that get your home projects done right. That's why we offer free and interactive online DIY workshops. During the live streams, our knowledgeable associates help you tackle your DIY projects no matter your age or skill level. You can learn how to install new single pole switches as well as standard duplex and GFCI outlets. Register for free at homedepot.com slash workshops. The Home Depot, how doers get more done. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. 